here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Many, 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 listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Next out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> Give me a name. I like Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crate alongside, as always, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, Mr. Joe Landa. Joe, how's it going on? How's it going on? Why did I say how's it going on? How's it going? How's it going on? <laughs> you you, you want to know the weirdest thing? I guess I'm broken. Uh, I said the same thing. So I, I do, uh, obviously, the, the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast, and I recorded that yesterday, and I said the exact same thing. How's it going on? What the hell is wrong with me? It's become habit now. I don't. I'm broken. Like I got the yips. I don't know if I could ever do an intro again. I'm done. Well, you, you catchphrase, right? I, I guess. How's it going on? Yeah. I mean, it how's it going sense, on? But I mean, I don't think anybody else uses it or says it. So I guess that could be the Captain Kratos thing. I suppose. But man, I hope it's not the yips. I gotta. I gotta do a podcast tomorrow and just make sure that I can still do it. I can still throw to first Joe. I don't know if I can anymore. Well, you've got like 16 different podcasts you do, right. so you got plenty of opportunity to break the habit they say it form it takes 21 days to form a habit have you have you said how's it going on 21 said it for times? two straight days but uh, i don't know i feel like that's a lot you know i'm two for two it's and, might and have become a tick. It. it's in the head though it's in the head i'm, I'm I, I mean geez it is, it's in the head god man I'm, I'm i i i feel like i've started this podcast on a really dog shit performance and and uh I don't want to Hideki Suzuki this uh, this podcast today, so I, I do feel bad about that. Smooth transition. <laughs> I'm sure because I feel like this is a we have a, a ton to get to, and I don't want to I don't want to over banter the beginning of the show because we are we are very if nothing we are nothing if not capable of over bantering uh, at the beginning, which you know I love and the people love, but I think we can banter along with the wrestling a lot this week because there's just so much to go. Well, on. yeah, we've got well, let's see, let's run it down. We've got uh, the wrestling Hinokuni. We've got a review, correct? You're correct. We've got two wrestling Dantaku shows we have to preview. We've correct. got the greatest Royal Rumble to review, correct? Oh, and it was great, yes. Uh, Backlash is a Sunday Rich. <laughs> so we have to take a detailed, intense look at Backlash, correct? Oh, for sure. As we as we do. I mean, we, we are nothing if not your number one source for WWE uh, pay-per-view previews. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Champion Carnival wrapped up. We have to talk about that, right? I believe we do. Impact Wrestling had redemption. Big, uh, it's now or never for that. Because if we wait, if we wait another week, we really can't talk about it. So we've got that on our plate, correct? We do. Dragon Gate Dead or Alive, uh, one of their you know four or five biggest shows of the year. That's coming up. It is. 
So, of course, we're going to start with Big Japan. <laughs> because, of course, um, did, you, did you watch the Strong Climb final, Rich? I did. And the, the bad part about this is I didn't watch it just once, Joe. I didn't watch it twice. I watched it three times. And you know why I watched it three times? Because I fell asleep the first two times. <laughs> I tried. I really, the, the past two nights, I sat down at like, you know, 10 p.m. or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I need to watch this. We need to talk about it. This is going to be a topic. You, you tweeted out about it a little bit. People were kind of talking about it. It's this kind of fun thing going around on the internet right now in our little circle of the internet. So I was like, I sit down, I'm going to watch this. I fell asleep. I went, okay, whatever. The next night, that was just a thing. It was kind of boring. I fell asleep within like two minutes the first time. So that, that's just, I was tired. Yesterday, I watched, I started at like nine o'clock. I was not tired. I was ready to go. Joe, five minutes in the match, out again. So I have watched the first like three to five minutes of that fucking match three times, but I can definitely let you know that that an hour before we recorded here, I watched the entire thing, so I've now seen the entire Hideki Suzuki Dachi Hoshimoto match. So we're good. There, there's the scaffold match from Starcade 91. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. That's just the one where just like everybody just grabs onto the scaffold laying down, right? And then nobody does anything. Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, PN News, and uh, Terry Taylor. One of the worst matches of all time. There's Mercedes versus Bacardi from Evolve. Do you remember that, Rich? Oh, I do. I do. I don't know. I, I, I don't recall much from it, though, but I do remember that one having the rep at the time. And I, I remember seeing it at the time, but I don't, I, I don't know if I can recall anything from it. Uh, the, no. the best part of the, that match was Lenny Leonard um, knowing it was awful and, and <laughs> unable to... <laughs> retain kayfabe anymore said i'm going to need a bacardi by the time this one is over um that's the one thing i'll always remember from that match besides the bevy of botches you have those two matches which are among the worst matches i've ever seen in my life the scaffold matches probably i was talking about this on twitter with uh forget who the apology um the scaffold match is probably the worst match i've ever seen that didn't contain a botch you know what i mean just a match that's just so bad because it's bad Right, like and the Jenna Maraska Sharmella one, which was just like, like them not being able to do any moves. Like that, that's a horrible match, but nobody could do any moves, and everything right. was a botch or whatever. Same with the you know the, the Mercedes and, and the Bacardi one, but yeah, the the scaffold match was just really bad. It was just boring as fuck and, and terrible. Through no fault of the competitors, they're put in a terrible position to have to like capture the flag and wrestle on top of a scaffold. How much can you do? Okay, you're not doing 450 splashes on a scaffold. All right, there's not much you could do there, but uh, it was a terrible match. Probably the worst match I've ever seen that didn't contain a botch. Mercedes versus Bacardi is the worst wrestling match I've ever seen in my life. Um, that was just a, a total botch fest to the point it was just fascinating um, to watch how bad they were. Um, but this Hideki Suzuki um, uh, Daishi Hashimoto um, match, the Strong Climb final, which also doubled as the uh, as the Big Japan World Title match as well, was the most boring match I've ever seen, number one. And I don't know if I can put it above the scaffold match or the Mercedes versus Bacardi match, but it's easily one of the three worst matches I've ever seen along with those two matches. Wow. Okay, okay. Well, that, that, I, you're going to have to leave it off then because I'll give you my thoughts. I mean, I still think it sucks, but that's lofty, man. We're top three worst matches you've ever I, seen. I'll back up it. I'll back it up. I'll tell okay, you why. Please do. Please do. Okay. The first third of the match, Rich, where you kept falling asleep. <laughs> okay. 
it, well, first of all, here here's the thing about the match. Before I even talk about, yeah, let's get let's get some context of the match too for people that might not know. I know I know uh, we, leading off with Big Japan's a, a rough thing for a lot of the people. So maybe get some context of what's going on with this match and, and the competitors and whatnot. Well, okay, so. Big Japan has had a rough go the last year or so. Talk to any uh, – what did I, did I say Big Japan? Oh, you said Big Japan, yeah. Okay. Big Japan has had a rough go the last year or so. Um, even your most hardcore Big Japan fans admit that the booking of the, uh, the the strong division has been horrendous. Big Japan, of course, you've got your strong matches, which are you know your, your basic heavyweight matches, and then you have your, your deathmatch stuff. Um, horrendous this by all accounts. I mean, 100%. You're not going to find one person to defend it. Um, Hideki Suzuki has become a big part of Big Japan, the current title holder coming into the Strong Climb, which is their version of the G1 uh, or their version of the Carnival, or, you know, it's their big uh, block tournament every year. They alternate. One year, they'll do the Strong. The next year, like next year, they'll do the Deathmatch. Uh, deathmatch tournament. Then the year after that, they'll do strong again. Well, this year was 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 the strong division's turn. Hashimoto was the champ coming in. They've had a hard, hard time. Daisuke Sekimoto and Yuji Okabayashi at the top. They've tried a number of different people, uh, whether it's Kamatani or Hashimoto. Nothing has worked. Um, uh, you know, Hideki Suzuki's in the mix now. I, I think that's as concise a synopsis as I can give when we've got you know, five hours of material to get through. <laughs> right, right. And, and and one thing to note as well is that uh, Hideki Suzuki had a run for most of 2017 as the champion, and then yeah. Hashimoto was one who beat him. So right. so this is a rematch of sorts, of, of the guy who beat, you know, long reign for, for, for Suzuki. Hashimoto beats that reign, so now Suzuki has this chance to get revenge over Hashimoto and, and, and win the title back, is, is sort of the context. In the well. finals so, of the tournament. Well. So there's a lot going into this. Like, if you heard this story, you'd be like, all right, well, here we go. Like, we got you know the, an awesome, the finals of a tournament, being for the title, the former champion against the current champion, the, the one of the former pillars of the of the division going up against like a you know kind of a young guy that's sort of taking the reins or whatever. Like, there's a lot there. It sounds like it should be awesome. Like, the story is pretty cool in a vacuum. Then the match happens. Right. <laughs> then the bell rings. And it's and it's the final of their strong climb tournament, all rolled into one. Right. Along with it being a title match. Um, the, the thing about it is, and we. This is why I call it one of the worst matches I've ever seen. We bang on Hideki Suzuki a lot on this show, and we have done, and we've done so for years. Um, but I think we're always fair in that we say, "Look, he's just not our cup of tea style-wise. He wrestles a style that neither of us are particularly into." Um, I, you know, I don't think Hideki Suzuki's a rank and file Hideki Su- Suzuki match is necessarily bad. Rich, they're kind of just there for me. They're two-star specials um, because I'm not into the style. I find him boring even when he's putting in effort. Uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of how we've treated Hideki Suzuki? Not our yeah. cup of tea. We find him boring, but I think he's good at what he does. I just don't like what he does. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is, and, and that's kind of a prevailing thing that we've had for years because we, we often do talk about him. When he's in big matches, whether it be in DDT, whether it be in Wrestle 1, whether it be in, in, in Big Japan or whatever, we always do talk about it because he's a guy that we, we we know that so many people love and so many people appreciate and that there is like his his ardent fans, and I think we both know that that he's a you know very good at what he does, even if what he does doesn't appeal to us at all. So we still kind of go on. If, if we thought he sucked and just thought he was just garbage or whatever, we wouldn't talk about it. We would never it would be Chikara. We'd Chikara him, or we would just agree that we were never going to talk about him ever again, and then we just never talk about him again, if we right. really thought he sucked. But we don't. We, we, we appreciate, in one sense, what he does, 
but then also understand that we don't know we, we don't really like what he does but understand that that it's still a talking point to sort of break down you know that from the perspective why we of, don't like it. We have to exactly right right right, right. Like yeah it. exactly that's probably the best way to put so it so that's why we haven't just ignored him because some people are like ah, if you hate him just don't watch him or whatever well no because i think we 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 I it, it very so I I clam I I want to finally get it with Hideki Suzuki because the people that get it and the people that like him and really enjoy him they seem to really love him. It's always like I every time I go out there I go okay here we go and it's over and I just go mm, yep nope not yet <laughs> like it's just it still never clicks. But I think part of me wants it to click. Part of me wants to finally go aha I get it now. But I never I never get it and I'm probably never going to get it. But I still try every single time. Good skill set. It just always falls flat. And part of the thing is we have to talk about him because he's always in these big matches. We can't ignore him if he's fighting for world titles all the time in these various promotions. That's the other thing, too. Um, so to continue, the one more piece of the setup, which I think is important before I tell you why this was one of the biggest bags of shit that I've ever seen ever. Um, part of Hideki Suzuki's gimmick, kayfabe gimmick, is that he is this large strapping Billy Robinson trained shooter who oftentimes is in the ring with from a kayfabe perspective with wrestlers who aren't in his class and part of his gimmick is that he toys with people and he wrestles bored does that make sense right in other words but but it's part of the performance which is which is a big key for what I'm about to talk about next uh, we've seen him before wrestle bored, sort of like he he toys with someone, like a cat slapping around a half dead mouse, or and you know, and and then he either you know completes the victory or you know uh, gets outsmarted, and then you know they hit the finisher. So part of his gimmick is that he feels like he's better than everyone else, and he doesn't always put in maximum effort from a kayfabe perspective. The pro- and, and that's part of my knock on him. The guy always looks like he's bored. Now, understandably, that's part of the gimmick. I just don't necessarily dig that from him. Yeah, anyway. one of the matches that you and I really loved, and I remember back this many years ago, was uh, Russell won when he defeated Kai to win the title uh, in Russell won. And, and and he you know dispatched Kai in like six or seven minutes. I forgot how long it was. And like patted him on the head as yeah. to say like, yeah, yes. good try, bud, but you kind of suck and I'm better than you. And just and it was awesome, though, because he, he you know he played with them around. He played around with them and was kind of like, all right, you're not my league, man. You're not my league. Finished him off in pretty decisive fashion, and then like, yeah, he did that little head pet at the at the end, and kind of went, okay, yeah, nice try, buddy, but uh, you suck. And you know, went through Wrestle One, and I, he didn't have a ton of defenses, but he had like you know two or three, I think, uh, you know, in Wrestle One, and they were all kind of that same way, where he would beat the guy pretty quickly and and, and sort of do it in a way where like, yeah, I'm better than you, and and you know, I'm better than you, and and there was a a character of disinterest kind of portrayed and it yes. worked it worked really well a character of kind of an aura of elitism that i am better than yes. you billy robinson trained me and and who the hell are you that you're not even in the class you're not a wrestler uh he goes by the wrestlers wrestlers kind of his nickname or whatnot and and he's always kind of projected that aura of of, of elitism i think is probably a good way to say it. like wrestling elitism i do this thing for real you guys are all just kind of playing around here but it's part of the performance right and and that's and 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 to bounce off of that we love win over Kai and we raved about it we loved the head pat it was a tremendous touch but then do you remember when he lost the title to Kai he just he totally no sold the finish casually rolled out of the ring and just and just marched out of the place like he didn't give a fuck and that bothered us for you know because it was like he didn't have enough respect for the promotion the title or his opponent to sell for the to sell the loss and put the guy over it was kind of like you know, Hercules Hernandez's last night in WWF where he was upset with things. And he it, this match is on YouTube, by the way. 
he takes a power bomb from Sid Vicious in Madison Square Garden. Uh, he's upset that he was booked to lose in like 30 seconds to sit or whatever. He takes the power bomb, takes the pin, and then pops right the fuck up and and walks out of MSG and walks right out of the company. That's kind of like what Hideki Suzuki did to Kai. He showed him no respect. He showed Wrestle One no respect, and he just rolled out of the ring and left because he was, you know, he his his run with Wrestle One was over. That's like the two faces of Hideki Suzuki. Okay, sometimes that act that he has is is really awesome and it works, and other times it's not an act and he's just an asshole. Well, Rich, this match against Daisuke Hashimoto, Hideki Suzuki insulted everyone who paid for a ticket to watch the match of this enormous tournament final and title match. He insulted everyone who subscribes to the Big Japan core over-the-top service, if there's anybody left, because I hear it's terrible. But uh, anyone who paid to see this match was slapped in the face by Hideki Suzuki because he did not give a fuck about this match, his opponent, the tournament, or the title and it was not performance based it was not within kayfabe he simply didn't care and it and it came through in his performance that first third of the match where you kept falling asleep rich what the fuck was that this was hideki suzuki loosely applying holds on daishi hashimoto knowing that hashimoto could not even half shoot back because suzuki could just dominate him physically if he wanted to and and just fucking around and meandering around not doing anything with any sort of intensity not locking on his holds rich at one point he slapped a side headlock onto Hashimoto. And I kid you not, go look at the tape. I don't know if you caught this, but I did. Because I watched it four times. I rewound. I was like, this couldn't have just happened. He slaps a side headlock on the guy. Let's go to adjust his tights. <laughs> Hashimoto makes no effort to roll away or stand up or escape. And then he, you know, casually reapplies the side headlock after he adjusts his tights. Total suspension of disbelief breaker. Total not giving a fuck about your performance. This guy just does. There was another point in the match where you know he gave Hashimoto probably two 30-second spurts of offense in the entire match. And at the end of one of those spurts of offense, Hashimoto went for a cover. And they, he got his one near fall of the match. Rich, Suzuki didn't even kick out. And he left the referee out to dry. And the referee knew it wasn't the finish because he knew Hashimoto wasn't winning. And he couldn't put his hand down for three. But at the same time, Suzuki didn't bother kicking out. He sandbagged the ref. He sandbagged his opponents. He fucked over the fans. He didn't even try. There was no effort in this match. And, and don't even come at me that he was doing his character. He, um, he was not doing his character. It just was an effortless performance. Okay, and if I was Big Japan, I would have fired him on the spot as soon as he came back from the curtain. It was one of the most insulting pro wrestling performances I've seen in my life. He would have came behind the curtain. I would have taken my title belt from him and I would have told him to leave and never come back. I would have fired him on the spot and I wouldn't have paid him for his before. I wouldn't have paid him for the match because he didn't go out there and perform. He went out there and insulted everybody, the opponent, the referee, the fans, the fans on the on the streaming service, everyone. An, an, an utterly disgraceful performance from Hideki Suzuki. I'd fire him and I'd never book him again. And anybody else who books this guy, whether it's Big Japan moving forward, any bus, you, you get what you, you know what you're getting into. It's like booking Loki. I can't feel bad for you when he doesn't show up. I cannot feel bad for you if you book Hideki Suzuki and he tanks matches on you. And by the way, the guy has never drawn a dime. He's never drawn a dime. 
So if he's upset that he has to work against Daisha Hashimoto, which people have speculated, and he doesn't respect Hashimoto, and he only respects other shooters when he gets into the ring with them, then you know what? Go shoot. This is pro wrestling. This is the entertainment business. You work with who you're in the ring with, and you put in effort for the paying fans for who you're in the ring with. Okay, if you if you if you think these uh, you know Daisha Hashimoto is beneath you, that's too fucking bad. You go in there and you do your job and you earn your money. If he wants to shoot, if he wants to go roll around and shoot on a mat, then go roll on a mat somewhere where nobody's paying paying to watch. Go fight MMA somewhere and 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 you know and and go face all the real shooters you want. But if you're gonna you're gonna participate in pro wrestling, you got to put in some effort. Anyone who books this guy is nuts. He's lazy. He's disrespectful. He doesn't care. What? And, and, and he doesn't draw any money. Everywhere he goes, he bombs when he's on top. And there's evidence. Lying, and I, we did a show six months ago where I showed the evidence. I'm not going to go over it again. Go listen to that because I'm sick of this guy. He doesn't draw any money. He's not a star. And he doesn't try. So what, what is the appeal of this man? But you know what? These, play, these promotions never learn. Okay, it, it was Wrestle One, it was Zero One. And okay, business always goes down when the guy's on top. Okay, and someone else will put a title on him too because everyone's so desperate because the guy looks the part and he walks the walk. But then you get this, and I don't know what this was. And he has high highs too. And I think that's the thing is, is, is when it works and when he's good, he's pretty damn good. And I think that's what always appeals to people is, oh, okay, like you said, he looks the part. And, and, and when he's good and when he's on and when he's feeling it, He's 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 very good, but it's like you get it's not worth it if 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 the bads are, are what this was. It's not worth it. He should never work again. He should never work again. Let him go. If all he respects is other shooters, then go shoot. This is the entertainment business, buddy. Take a hike. Get lost. Okay. He probably can't hack it in real fights, which is why these guys go to pro wrestling. Eventually, when they stop being able to win real fights. So he's going to come here and he's going to bully Daisha Hashimoto and fuck around with him because he knows the guy can't fight back. That makes him a coward on top of everything else. I had a, I, enough with this. I've had enough of this guy. It's always playful when we, when we bang on him. It's always style-based. But now I have an issue with, his, with, with, with him insulting paying customers and insulting everybody that was in the ring with him. This was – Rich, this was egregious. I mean this had me fired up watching this, and you know this. Because I, mean, you know, I was talking to you a while you – know, while I was watching it, but this, this, this was just this was one of the most insulting pro wrestling performances I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. This was so unprofessional. I would have had more respect for Hideki Suzuki if he got in that ring and he shot on Hashimoto and ragdolled him around. And and because we've seen that, at least that's entertaining. What he went in there and did wasn't just disrespectful to his opponent and the promotion and the referee and his bosses. It was disrespectful to the fans too because it wasn't entertaining. Fans watched this match, Rich, in complete and utter silence. That there wasn't a people were in awe of what they were watching when they were watching this match, over how horrendous it was. I, I, I would, I, Big Japan has no no guts. They've got no guts if this guy steps into the ring for them ever again. That was disgusting, disgusting. And, and we're always guys that I think one of the things that, that you know, because you mentioned again that, like, you know, if he doesn't respect Daji Hashimoto, which is which, whatever, I get it. Like, I, I'm not a big Hashimoto fan. I think he's kind of shitty as well. But there's a certain, I, to me, the wrestlers that I always look up to, the guys that I really appreciate, the guys that I love, 
would take that as a challenge of like, hey, look, I think this guy kind of sucks. There's some, but I'm going to make something out of this guy. I'm going to make this match count. I'm going to make a star out of this guy. I'm going to make this the most entertaining match I can possibly make it, even if I think this guy fucking sucks. Like, the, the, the we, you know, we've never seen it, but the Bret Hart Tom McGee match. Like, that's one where it's like, you know, the, the world around thing is that like Bret Hart was like, dude, I'm going to make this guy look like a million bucks for you and, and did like with what we assume but there's guys over the course of the years there's there's many guys name any of your top wrestlers there's guys that have done that in, in over the years of say hey look this is a guy that that i don't think was very good there this opponent is probably can't hang with me and doesn't really know everything but what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna work him through this match i'm gonna walk him through this match and we're gonna make something happen and and you know in watching the, the beginning of the match you know it's three times before i could finally finish it i i was trying to pick up on exactly when the match sort of fell apart was it something that before the bell even rang he suzuki said fuck this i don't care I don't give a shit. I kind of feel like that was. I also think there was a point where, where, like you said, he was trying to put on the holds and, and Hashimoto couldn't really do anything with him or or I don't know if Hashimoto forgot what they were going to do or they had talked about, hey, I'm going to do this and then you do this and it kind of fell apart from there. But you can tell within about a minute of the match that it's just going to completely fall off the rails immediately after that and it's never, ever going to go back. And that, you know, I it, it's... Like you said, unprofessional is a great way to put it. And and, and there's a way that if you want to be the, you know, if, if, if Hideki Suzuki thinks so highly of himself to say, hey, look, I, this guy's not in my league. I get that. There, that that's happened many times throughout the, the history of wrestling, of, of a wrestler knowing his self-worth and saying, hey, look, I think this guy sucks. And, and, and you know, I don't really love being it. But usually you'll go out there and you will still bust your ass or, or, or you design a match that 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 appeals to you and, and gets what you want. And if the company believes in you enough and says, if, if Hideki Suzuki said, hey, okay, Hashimoto's not on my level, I want to beat him in a minute. Would you be that disrespected if he just beat him in a minute? I think would you rather him 16 minute. minutes of him like slowly, yeah. you know, putting on side headlocks and then hitting his little, you know, double arm suplex and pinning him and then nobody making any noise? Yeah, if he had talked the the booker into a one minute entertaining squash, that would have and if it was at least entertain what they did, what he did was put in absolutely zero effort and he made it obvious yeah. that he was putting right, in right, absolutely right. zero effort. And that's the problem. And and you know, it's and look if Big Japan wants to use people like Hideki Suzuki, this is why they're drawing 500 fans to their tournament final. Okay, those are just – look, that sounds harsh, but that's a fact. Okay? Because performances like this, these are, these are what they used to call town-killing performances right here. This was a town killer. That's how bad this was. I, I can't believe that they would ever bring this guy back. Yeah, it's – it's and, and, and one of the things – I mean the central point of it, – it, it's pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, even if you think you're a better shooter than the guy, if you think you're a better wrestler than the guy, if you think you're, it doesn't matter because what your job is to do is to entertain the fans and to get them to buy tickets. If you're not going for, for pops and that's never been his Suzuki's thing. He's not going to be a high spot guy. He's not going to do, but you need to get people to buy tickets because that's the lifeblood of pro wrestling. And, and, and for people that, that, that will kind of put over the, I don't care character and the, you know, like you mentioned, you know, six months ago, the, I don't give a shit. This is all stupid. uh, This is boring to me doesn't sell any fucking tickets. Nobody goes to see a guy who doesn't care. I don't want to pay tickets to see a guy who doesn't care. I wouldn't go to a sporting event if I knew the guys didn't give a shit. I wouldn't go to wrestling if the guys, I knew the bell was going to ring and they went, oh, yeah, whatever. Okay, yeah, okay, let's get this over with. Let's do that. It, so the idea that that's his character is, is well and good if it's you know ramped up to the, the, the volume 10 or whatever. We, we talk about with pro wrestling. You can tell about any story you need in pro wrestling, but the volume's got to be turned up. It has to be larger than life. It has to be something that's going to make people want to buy tickets but if it's the I don't give a shit, this is all stupid, everybody sucks except for me, this is so beneath me, why the hell would anybody go buy tickets to watch a guy who doesn't care? 
I think there's a way to pull off that character in a compelling way that can draw tickets. And Tetsuya I think, Naito. <laughs> Tetsuya yeah, Naito. There you go. And, 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 in and the look, biggest company in Japan of a guy who quote, doesn't give a shit, but as we know, very much gives a shit. CM Punk has done derivatives of that in the past. But it's it's but I, I want to make it clear though. I don't believe he this this was him. I don't believe he worked the match with that. I think he legitimately didn't care. He was not putting on an I don't care performance in this match. He simply didn't care. He had took no pride in his own performance. He took uh, and he insulted everybody else involved. You know, this 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 was egregious. This was one of the worst. Uh, this was the one of the worst examples of lack of respect that I've seen in a pro wrestling match ever. In thousands and thousands of matches I've seen, it was really bad. Um, it, it just shocking. And look, Daishi Hashimoto, like you, fat turd who never lived up to his inks. Okay, and look, I and look, and and, and big Japan fans will tell you. Um, and, and believe me, I was solidly behind him for years, waiting for him to turn it around. He never did. I gave up on him. He just he doesn't want to get in shape. He's another guy who, to me, doesn't always put in maximum effort, but not, nothing to the level of this Suzuki performance. Nothing you've ever seen in terms of a lazy wrestler will ever match what Suzuki did here. It was a whole nother level. So, and, and look, and I hear Hashimoto is not, Hashimoto is not well-liked and not liked by Suzuki. And even if that's the case, you still have to show some respect to the fans. Slap the kid around and, and, and shoot on him at least. Give me something to sink my teeth into as a fan. Uh, you know, what we saw here was just disgusting. It was disgusting. So, um, and, and it definitely doesn't encourage me to go seek out more Big Japan or pay for their streaming service if they're going to book dopes like this. This is how they got in this mess and why they're, you know, they're running 500 seat buildings for their tournament finals and world title matches. I mean, this is why. So, um, I don't know. I to me, I couldn't even rate this thing. It, it's below a dud. This was like negative star territory because one guy just didn't give a flying fuck about what the hell he was doing. It was so awful. So um, you know, and in a totally different way. And that's why I kind of pre- kind of prefaced it with the two matches I did. Sorry about that. We did a little bit of a reconnect. I know Joe was uh, breaking up a little bit in that last segment. Maybe I was as well, but uh, we're back on and hopefully everything is good and hope you enjoyed our 30 minutes on Big Japan, even though we have five hours of other topics to talk about. Anyway, Joe, do you want to let people know about our friends at Dollar Shave Club? I sure do, Rich. (laughs) If you ever shower or brush your teeth or try to make your hair look presentable, I don't do that. I've got good news for you. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. Dollar Shave Club is more than just razors. They deliver everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it, Rich. Whether it's the shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your little tushy feeling tingly clean. We, of course, are huge fans of the One Wipe Charlies, but also the Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. Good luck finding a product that great at the store. All of Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top shelf ingredients that won't break your budget. You will feel the difference. We promise because we use the Tushy Wipes, Rich. We I talk don't. about it every I week. I can't, but I did use the Amber and Lavender. I used it this morning, actually. And, and you would, if, you, if we did this podcast together, you'd be able to smell me and smell my musk. And it is, it is quite a, uh, a vibrant musk right now, all thanks to the Amber and Lavender Calming Body Cleanser. Have you ever used the word tushy in a non-ironic way? Uh, I don't know if I ever used the word tushy ever. Um, 
maybe on a porn search, maybe once or twice, but other than that. <laughs> that you have searched for porn and used the word tushy. I believe that. <laughs> isn't there a, uh, not that I would know, I've heard from friends. I believe there's a channel, isn't there, uh, called Tushy or Tush or something like that? I, I'm sure that there's some <laughs> porn site. I will. I'll have the producer tushy. look it up. But uh, one of my friends was talking about it once, and I believe that is a is is something that I was talking about um, a, a website that uses the word. I'm sure that there is. Uh, Rich, I just typed "tushy" into the Pornhub search engine, and you sh- will not be surprised that there are pages and pages of pages of uh, of tushy uh, that come up when you use that keyword. And yes, there is a site called tushy.com. So oh well, there you go. So my friend was correct in his. Uh random assumption that that was true so okay there you go shipping is free with your dollar (laughs) shave club membership and here's a great way to try a bunch of dollar shave clubs products for just five bucks you can get their daily essentials starter set what's that the daily essential starter set comes with the body cleanser the one wipe charlie's which are the amazing butt wipes their world famous shave butter and their best razor the razor joe lanza uses the six blade executive Keep the blades coming for just a few bucks more a month, and you could add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Okay, so uh, I guess we should leave things off. We did almost zero New Japan last week. They're in the middle of an enormous tour. Why don't we start things there? And actually, why don't we start things before we talk about Hinokuni and Dantaku? The uh, Cow Palace tickets went on sale. I guess uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. They went on sale, what, Tuesday the 1st, I believe it was? I believe it was Tuesday uh, morning, yeah. If I remember correctly, it was Tuesday morning. uh, So the day day before we record this. And we're recording this on, as you said, the 2nd. So, yeah, uh, May 1st they went on. Yeah. So uh, at this point, uh, the initial reports were that first day ticket sales were in the 4,500 range. Uh, that has uh, PW Torch uh, has confirmed through a, a New Japan source that is incorrect. There's about a thousand tickets being reserved for the New Japan Fan Club. They do that for for every show. Uh, so even though those tickets aren't available, they technically haven't been sold yet. It's unclear whether they'll be sold. Uh, so the actual number of tickets sold through about 24 hours was 3,300 tickets sold. Now. Um, I don't know how many how many seats is the building set up for. Have you seen that anywhere? We should probably. I haven't know seen the that. exact number. I mean, it is ten. They're going for ten k, uh, of course, that we know. But again, like I don't know if that means that they're gonna. You know, it, it might be when it's all said and done, eight thousand, nine thousand. I don't know the exact number. I know that ten thousand was a number kind of thrown around, but then also sort of walked back a lot of times as well. When whenever people brought up ten thousand, similar to the all in, it would always sort of be walked back by people either in New Japan or, or, or sources that we talked to, where they would say, you know, they would say ten thousand, and they'd be like. Or, you know, maybe a little less. So it was never a clear. I don't know that there, there was ever a clear number of this is a sellout in the Cow Palace. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that we ever got. OK, if, if we sell this much, it's sold out and it's done. Well, a third of the building is 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 curtained off. You can right. see that they're just not selling tickets to about a third of the building. Uh, I assume for a stage and those sorts of things. Um well, I can tell you this. There's a lot of hot takes going around uh, with these first day ticket sales. I don't know who the hell was expecting New Japan to sell out a building this large on day one. I don't think I saw anybody claim uh, that they thought New Japan was going to sell out instantly the way they did in the 1500 seat or 2000 seat venues that they ran in Long Beach, the first two shows that they did here in the United States. 
or the 4,000-plus-seat building uh, basketball uh, building, college basketball building that they ran in Long Beach this year. Uh, those all sold out instantly. Uh, this show sold 3,300 tickets on the first day. Um, I don't think anyone thought they were going to sell 10,000 tickets in a day. So I don't know why people are – why anyone is surprised that the show didn't sell out on the first day. Now, the argument from there becomes, all right, well, is this disappointing? New Japan themselves is disappointed and the number of tickets they sold. Uh, so let's say that right out of the gate. Um, if you would have asked me how many tickets they were going to sell on day one, I probably would have said about 4,000. I probably would have said about the same number that they sold for Long Beach. Um, because we've said on this show, you're going to run a, a big building like this, which I think was worth trying. You need to put forth a killer main event and a killer show in order to sell that number of tickets. Well, Rich, they haven't even announced a match yet. So... Uh, so what we've learned, we've kind of learned what the baseline is for how many people will buy blind tickets to a New Japan show without knowing anything that's on the card. Um, the other thing you have to remember here is the ticket prices are very expensive. I mean, I think more ambitious than the total number of seats they're attempting to sell are the prices that they're selling the tickets for. I mean, you know, there's a chance they're going to do a $500,000 gate. When all is said and done, which I mean, and people are going to consider that disappointing if they don't, uh, you know, uh, fill the building completely, which which is crazy. Um, you know, let me let me ask you this. I mean, you know, to, to, to just to show the standards that uh, New Japan is being held to here in terms of not selling out the building in one day. How many WWE shows have sold out basketball arenas in one day? I mean, I, I you know, in this year. I mean, have there been any? Uh, I mean, I don't know the answer to that, but I can't think that there have been too many. Um, you know, even these NXT takeovers that piggyback WrestleMania or piggyback SummerSlam, they fight and crawl and scratch to sell out. And a lot of times they don't. Um, so this idea that New Japan was going to sell out the Cow Palace in one day, I don't know where it came from. I have no idea why this is considered such a massive failure. Um, now, if they run this show in front of, you know, 4,200 fans and Absolutely, they got to take a big fat giant L here. There's no question about it. But can we at least see the card they put forth? And can we at least see what the final ticket number is? Uh, you know, before we stick a fork in, in, in what New Japan is doing here? I mean, I, I have no idea what you think about this, but you know, that's kind of my take on it. From yeah, I think one thing that that, that you, you mentioned ticket prices, and I think before I give my answer, let's give people an idea of the ticket prices if you don't know and if you haven't seen here. So they basically have five different ticket kind of categories i'll say they have arena and that's rows one through two rows three for five rows six to twenty those are your kind of ringside ish seats or whatever uh rows one through two going for 300 bucks a piece rows three for five going 200 dollars a piece uh and rows six through 22 150 dollars a piece uh then you have your bleacher seats which are rows one through 11 and the bleachers those are 120 dollars a piece 120 dollars a piece for bleacher seats uh they have box seats which is that row that's rows uh, one through five in the box uh 100 you have dress circle uh, that's rows one through nine, $80, rows 10 through 16, 50 bucks, and then corners. So your worst seats in the house, your absolute bottom barrel, all the way in the corner seats, rows one through 16 in the corners, 40 bucks a piece. So your lowest ticket price is $40 for this show. So and keep they that sold, mind. Well, if you look at the chart, they sold most of those too. So right. So those went quick. 
which makes sense, which is about what they would be. And then your kind of big ticket ones uh, are, are, are kind of waiting there. I think my thoughts on this are there's two things a little bit like uh, initially, I'm not super like surprised that they didn't sell because I'm kind of with you. I thought and we and we talked about this many months ago, that 4000 was about the what we just expected was kind of your baseline amount of seats. I maybe would have expected about 5000 or so, given that you had expanded a little bit, given that like you, you people had known that, hey, these tickets are going to go quick because the Long Beach show was uh, a real struggle to get tickets for a lot of people so i did think that there was gonna be enough people that were gonna say oh geez if i want to get tickets to this thing i have to go right away and i have to do it you know so i i wasn't totally surprised that they didn't i didn't think they were gonna sell i didn't think they were selling ten thousand or nine thousand in, in in a day that's that's i i just don't think they're on that level and that's pretty impossible and nobody no nobody in wrestling really does that anymore i mean that's that's very difficult we'll see when all in goes on sale next week as well i mean they're they're a great litmus test for this as well if they do you know incredibly well and and sell ten thousand at a time then then maybe we can look at this and go okay well what did new japan do wrong or, and whatnot but i i still think that that's ambitious to ask that you know any 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 wrestling promotion right now in 2018 to sell you know nine thousand or ten thousand tickets you know in 24 hours is, is is super ambitious and probably way more ambitious than anybody uh, is really re- willing to do. But I think that there is something to be said that that the New Japan offices are a little disappointed by this that they're you know according to PW Torch upset was the word they used upset was the word not disappointed upset and 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 that leads me to you know some other kind of questions about this as well and 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 one thing that we had always talked about with these new japan and america shows is that one thing that was eventually going to happen is kind of the 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 aura of oh my god new japan is coming to america was going to wear off at a certain point and then the shows had to be about something more the shows had to mean something the shows couldn't simply be hey okada's here oh hey tanahashi's here they had to be something more they had to be shows that people that were buying these tickets felt like they were getting an authentic new japan experience felt like they were getting something important the problem with that, though, is, and, and this is going to be the problem going forward if they run these shows in America, is that if you have these shows be in canon New Japan shows, and if they matter to New Japan, you're not going to get good cards until some other stuff happens along the way, and that could be an issue. You're not going to get the full card until Dominion happens. You're not going to get the full card until Dontaku happens. They're not going to just say, oh, yeah, here's the title match. It's Okada versus whoever, uh, you know, uh, main eventing the cow because that's not how New Japan does it. They, they stick to the pure... You know, these this guy does not have the title yet, or he hasn't. You know, he's defending this title, so we don't want to announce him as defending the title. You know, in, in, in July or whatever. So there's always that weird thing, and that I think has become kind of a catch twenty two. Is that like New Japan had to be had to make these shows important if they were going to go to America? Every time they had to go there, it couldn't simply be a a, a sideshow attraction. Hey, the stars of New Japan are coming. They had to be important shows. They had to matter. But when they matter, you are also sort of held to that standard of, okay, well, if they matter, we're not going to announce the cards until way later down the line. And that's going to be sort of a weird issue that they go through. And it could cause them to kind of get upset and get worried about that tickets don't sell right away. But it could be a lot of people just sort of waiting to see what this card is. Okay, look, you know, the the you know the, the New Japan show uh, in, in, in Long Beach wasn't a great card like you know there was some good stuff on that show that the main event was also was obviously incredible but but all in all i don't know that that was kind of a blowaway show i think this ticket sold quickly and we you know we theorized that they pulled back some stuff that they maybe said okay well you know you're not getting jericho and naito no you're not getting this they kind of said okay thanks for for buying all these tickets we're kind of kind of pulled back a bit and now i wonder if there's a a collection of fans i don't know how many fans those are that are sort of like all right no no no, you got to show us what this thing is worth you got to prove to us that this is worth flying across the country for prove to us that this is worth you know going all the way to san francisco and 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 paying for a hotel and all this sort of stuff and paying for flights or whatever you have to prove that it's worth it because we're not just going to go just because it's tanahashi and just because okada is going to be there and just because maybe minoru suzuki will be there you got to show us 
the card a little bit. And and that's going to be kind of an adjustment period, I think, for New Japan. Maybe they're not used to that. Maybe they thought that they could just say we're coming and people are just going to buy it, you know, and fall over themselves to buy these tickets. But I think we've seen that the 4,000 people will fall over themselves to buy these tickets. But to get that extra bit, to get any more, to extract any more out of that, you're going to have to give the goods. You're going to have to give a card. And that's not going to come for a while. That's not going to come until after Dominion. And maybe yeah. it might even take a while after that. So that's going to be an interesting catch-22 for New Japan now. You can't announce anything until Dominion's over. For, right. Because they they do not break kayfabe with their match announcements. You know, like you explained, you got to wait it out. Uh, one thing that really I haven't seen many people consider, Rich, if you want to see the stars of New Japan, if you want to see Kenny Omega, let's say, look at all the opportunities you have to see him just, you know, within a few months of this show. All in. If you live in the Midwest, why are you buying a plane ticket and flying to San Francisco if you can go to All In? If you live in Florida or the American South, why are you buying a plane ticket and going to California when you can go to Kenny Omega's vanity show or you know the Kenny Omega produce show that he's doing at the uh, you know the video game convention in Florida, which has the New Japan logo slapped right on it? Okay, if you live in, near any of the War of the Worlds cities which are going to have Tetsuya Naito on all of it, you know, maybe you buy a ticket to that instead of the added expense of flying to California and getting a hotel and buying a $9 million ticket to the New Japan show proper. I think those six shows, those are six shows. There's four War of the World shows all in and that weird non-canon New Japan show that Kenny Omega is putting up the money for that are all running you know, within a few weeks of this, uh, you know, New Japan show in the Cow Palace, uh, which I think is 100% drawing fans away from the Cow Palace show. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, and and, and I can attest to me being a person that, that you know, All In is going to happen 20 minutes from my house. Uh, War of the Worlds is going to happen, in, you know, next weekend, uh, you know, 10 minutes from my house or whatever. Why the fuck would I fly to, you know, and, and All In is going to have Omega and, and, and Okada, two of my favorites, so I'm good. So I'm good. It's got the Bucks and Omega and Okada. So I'm good on that. 20 minutes to my house. Not bad. I could drive. You know, that, that'll be good. Uh, I can bike to the fucking War of the Worlds show. I can walk. You know what I mean? And that yeah. show's going to have all those guys. I mean, it's not going to have, uh, you know, all the guys, but it's going to have plenty of guys right there. So, no, there are plenty of opportunities. No matter where you live in this country, particularly in the Midwest and the East, like you said, that that if I was if I really desired to see any of these New Japan stars, it's not going to be hard at all to go see them live at all. And there's going to be three or four opportunities in the next four or five months to see these guys live. So why would you fly to California? And, and that's what I mentioned. Like the, the attraction, the, oh my God, New Japan guys are here. That's done. That's lost. That's gone. And it's getting even worse when, when all these other things are kind of popping up. So now there's got to be another hook. There has to be something more. And, and the something more is the, is the card and the matches and important matches. But then the catch 22 is they're not going to announce those until. So I, I, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just an idea where New Japan just needs to realize and get patient and go, okay, look, we're not going to sell out just by the snap of our fingers. It's going to take a while and it's going to be a little bit until people do that. But again, this is going to be a heavily fly in audience. It's going to be people flying across the country. There's not just a, a you know, 10,000 people in the San Francisco area that I think are going to the show. So this is, it's ambitious and we think it was the right idea. I think we both kind of agree that, that doing this and, and giving it a, a try is the right idea, but there now needs to be that next step. Like the attraction of new Japan people is not just enough. Now it's got to be something more. There has to be something more to, to, to get people to go and, and travel across the country or, or, or get to that show. So, and I don't know what that is. It probably is just a card and it probably is delivering a good card, but you know, there, there's that issue of, can you guys deal with oh, another month of, you know, kind of stagnating sales. And then hopefully in that last month, everybody then goes and buys because you announced yeah. insert big match, whatever it is. I, I don't know off the top of my head what the big match could be or whatever, but 
are, are they willing to say, okay, let's just be patient. Let's calm down. It's only a month, whatever. We'll see what it is and, and, and kind of wait it out because that's almost what they're going to have to do. There's seven opportunities to see New Japan wrestlers spread all over the country coming up. There's just one of seven opportunities. So yeah, we're gonna have to wait for the card. Um, I think people need to pump the brakes a little bit on deeming this a failure because you may have to put your foot in your mouth. Um, you know, if, if they put out a killer lineup, people are going to go to the show. Um, if they, if they, if there's a huge Okada title defense, or if they, you know, just whatever, if they do Naito Jericho here instead of Dominion, and we'll talk about that in a second, people are going to go to the show. So I'd be careful with, with digging the grave. If you want to dig the grave, go ahead, but I wouldn't throw the dirt on yet because you're going to, you might look like a dope. Um, wait it out. I think, uh, you know, my gut, I, I, my gut isn't telling me anything. And the reason it's not is because I don't know the card. Give me a card and I'll tell you what I think they're going to sell above and beyond the 4,000 tickets or whatever that they've sold as of this recording. But until I know what's on the show, until you give me something, some names, Rich, I can't speculate. What we do, what we have learned though, is we now have the baseline. We know that about 4,000 people will buy tickets to a New Japan show blind. I think it's 4,000 to stand on blind tickets. You know, you're giving promoters a lot of power when you do that. I, I, I'm a, I think this is good for New Japan fans in the United States that this show didn't sell 8,000 tickets right. on the mm-hmm. first day. This is going to, this is going to, this is, and look, look at that torch reporter. New Japan is contacting, they already contacted one quote unquote big name. Guys, this is what I've been telling you for years. Okay? If everyone would have went out and bought tickets to this show, they're not contacting that big name. This is the point I've been making for years that you dopes argue with me about. Promoters have to try harder if you do not buy the tickets blind. It's just common sense. You give them a pass if you buy all the tickets on the first day. You give them a pass to not try as hard. New Japan has to bust their ass now. Because they're shitting their pants and they're concerned and they're angry. Now they got to bust their ass to give you the best card possible. How is that a bad thing? Stop buying tickets blind. And you'll see promoters put in more effort. It's just common sense. So until I see who this big, until I see a card, until I see a lineup, I can't even speculate how many tickets this thing is going to sell. I think if they give you a card like they gave you in Long Beach, they're going to have 5,000 people in the building. I think if they give you a big IWGP title match or Chris Jericho or whatever big, I don't know who the fuck, Batista, name somebody, okay? They'll put some more in there. I, I don't know, though. And I can't speculate, okay? Now, in late March, and this is ancient information by this point, okay? But we're going to put it out there anyway. In late March, we were told by a source in the office at the time that Rey Mysterio Jr., Versus Will Ospreay, the match they set up, one of the matches, they, one of the 19 matches they set up for Will Ospreay in Long Beach was tentatively planned for the Cow Palace. The problem, though, and where their concern lied was that, if you recall, Mysterio was supposed to wrestle in Long Beach, but he injured himself. Okay, He had the injured arm or whatever it was. WWE paid for his trip to Dr. James Andrews because WWE is courting Rey Mysterio Jr., Okay, so what New Japan was fearing was if they try to if they schedule that match and WWE signs Rey Mysterio in the interim, now that match is out. 
So I don't even know whether that plan is, whether that match is still planned or on the books or whatever at this point. And the other thing we asked about Jericho and at that time, at the end of March, and this will segue perfectly into the next thing we're going to talk about at that time, at the end of March, they weren't even thinking about Chris Jericho anymore because they had run into so many problems with him trying to cut a financial deal and with his scheduling, which is why you didn't, you no longer saw any more hints towards the Naito Jericho thing during that point in time, because they were moving forward with the idea of we may never use Chris Jericho again. Today, some Chris Jericho news broke, Rich. Yeah, so the Wrestling Observer and a few other sources, while well, I believe PW Insider, uh, this, and I'll read, read the quote from uh, one of our former colleagues, Brian Rose, at uh, Wrestling Observer, wrote this. Uh, said, uh, PW Insider reported this afternoon that Chris Jericho will be heading to Japan to participate in the upcoming Wrestling Dontaku events, which will take place over the next two days. Uh, the report says that he will appear to set up an angle for next month's Dominion event, uh, June 9th in Osaka, Joe Hall. Uh, and then kind of, re- you know, Brian obviously reiterates that, you know, he participated in Wrestle Kingdom 12 against, uh, you know, Kenny Omega, uh, the New Year's Dash stuff and all that sort of whatnot uh, that he did recently worked the greatest royal rumble event uh and uh, back in march jericho said on twitter that he wouldn't be going back to new japan though in the past he has not been that transparent about his future plans in order to keep an element of surprise to what he will do next so yeah i don't i don't know that anybody ever believed like i don't believe anything that jericho says because the guy's a perpetual worker and that's fine because he's a wrestler and that's what wrestlers do particularly you know using social media to kind of work you know people and and whatnot so that was a surprise to me that you know he says that he's not going to be back and that he is back or whatever but i think the real question is 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 PW Insider reporting that Chris Jericho will be, you know, in Japan leading up to Dominion, doing some sort of angle, doing something at Wrestling Dontaku, which is super interesting because, you know, like you said, in March we heard, hey, this might not ever happen. This guy might not be, you know, somebody that we, we deal with. Now, you know, we get him announced for Wrestling Dontaku. And now I ask you, you know, the, the, the mention here is that he's going to do something for Dominion, uh, obviously in June. Do you think the Cal Palace thing has anything to do with that? Do you think he's one of these big names? Do you think he is, you know, one of many big names contacts, or is he the big name that they maybe contacted? Where, where, where do you lie on that? Are these related at all, or just complete coincidence that that now he's back? But then we also hear, you know, a day prior that New Japan's upset and trying to find more guys for the Long Beach show. Well, or uh, Cal Palace show, I should say. Sorry. Right. The report sets it up like they're going to shoot an angle to lead Jericho into a match at Dominion. Right. Which obviously that you know just based on you know it, it looks like that they're they'll do jericho naito at dominion um if i'm new japan based and if i'm as upset about these ticket sales as people you know claim that they are i'm setting up naito jericho for cow palace um so maybe they'll there'll be a change of plans there maybe this report is a little erroneous maybe you know um you know jericho's there and they are going to shoot an angle but they won't they're not you know and who's to say even if he wrestles at dominion he's wrestling nato maybe he wrestles uh evil maybe he wrestles sonata maybe um maybe he just uh who knows and maybe they are angle you know the the end game is jericho nato in the cow palace i i don't know um you know i have no idea where they go with Okada after he beats Tanahashi for Dominion. Because you can't go to Naito yet, especially since he's the Intercontinental champ. So maybe Jericho figures into that somehow. I know that's really thinking, but who knows? Um, you know, if you can get Jericho matches, you know, if the guy's tough to pin down and hard to do business with, if you can get him to agree to Okada and Naito matches in the same meeting and then set them up, and then, then you fucking do it. 
you know, because you, you know, you, you absolutely jump all over it. So who knows? So we'll have to see how that shakes out and what they do with him at Dantaku. But, um, you know, as of late March, they were afraid they weren't ever going to have him in the fold again. And we're moving forward with that as a possibility. So, um, look, I, I, I don't know. And, and obviously we don't know who this other, you know, supposed big name that they're, that they're trying to get, um, you know, uh, uh, for, for Cal palace that may just be, you know, like that, that could be Ray Mysterio jr. That could be, I mean, who else is out there, um, that, that they conceivably could even contact, um, you know, uh, who, like uh, Batista, uh, would he do a non WWE show? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Would he move CM a ton Punk, of tickets? I guess would be a guy. CM that Punk could... is obviously, yeah. I mean, that's the first guy you call, um, you know, uh, who Goldberg, can you call Goldberg? <laughs> I suppose. Um, I, I'm just, I mean, I'm just, you know, is he, could he even do it? You no, know, so I don't know. I mean, who you know, who the fuck are you calling? It's, it's tough. Yeah. When I read that, I was kind of thinking in my head, okay, yeah. Then, and then I was like, hey, who do you, I, I don't know that it, it's like in, in 2018 pro wrestling. I don't know who that guy is that you call and say, all right, we need to sell 6,000 tickets. Let's call blank. Like the rock. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. I, I, I don't know. And even, even then I, I'm not even sure. Hulk Hogan. I, I don't know. Like that's sort of the issue is like, it's kind of strange when you read that in 2018 and, and for so many years in pro wrestling, it was kind of obvious. And you had those, you know, collection of names. Oh, you call this guy. And that's, I don't know in 2018, like we said right here, we're, 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 we're left with who? Rey Mysterio, CM Punk, and question mark Goldberg? Like, is that really the names that Batista was another one mentioned? Like, are those the guys? Like, that that's a weird thing is, you know, I read that and I'm like, all right, but who? Who's that guy that they really think is the ace in the hole? That if they get this guy signed up, you're ready to go. I mean, maybe it's Punk, but I, I mean, I, I, I'd assume Punk would, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not like... You know, pulling out the Brinks truck to get CM Punk and thinking I don't that's even think gonna he immediately... can. I mean, can't UFC oh, yeah, stop him? Doing... <laughs> exactly, he's doing a fucking UFC fight like pretty soon. So yeah, he's out. So yeah, we can't even count him because that would be uh, a breach of contract. So okay, we we're left with Batista, but probably not Goldberg question mark and Rey Mysterio question mark. So okay, yeah. I mean Hulk Hogan, like you know what I mean? Like that's that's the level of guy. I mean, I don't know. Is, is that who who does that? Who is the guy that snap your fingers announce this guy six thousand seats get sold? Bully Ray. <laughs> but he's retired, Joe. He can't possibly go. Oh, he's back. He's back. He's not retired anymore. Sorry. He's, he's, he's retired uh, this week. I, I don't even know. I didn't watch Ring of Honor TV this week, but probably. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 definitely yeah. pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see it at Dontaku, what kind of goes down. I think that segues pretty well into uh, wrestling Dontaku. Uh, unless, did you want to recap the, uh, the Hinokuni show before we get uh, kind of into Dontaku? Because I think a lot of stuff that played into I, to Hinokuni think- kind of plays into Dontaku. So that probably is the better plan for us. Hino Cooney card, um, you know, quickly. Uh, it drew 34 35. That was a sellout for the Manto uh, challenging a match that um, a lot of people did not like. Um, I didn't like it very much either. I thought it was very boring. I thought it was sort of a listless performance from Naito. Um, I thought it was a little sloppy at points. I didn't think it was like terrible or anything like that, but by the standards of a new Japan main event, I think it was one of the least, least compelling and probably one of the worst calling it a major main event because it was the Intercontinental title and it was two big stars. This was one of the worst new Japan main events probably in the last five years. I will say that even though I don't think it was terrible. This match at about, I don't know, three stars. 
Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with this this match. And and, and I think it's sort of the standards that we've kind of gotten to with the main events is, is that just an okay match, just a fine match, particularly when it's these two guys and we know they're, they're capable of so much more, is going to lead to a disappointment. And that's sort of what this match was. It was it was just disappointing because nothing fucking happened. It was just boring as shit. And, and I've seen a lot of people mention that, hey, this is kind of a, a throwback in a sense to the old New Japan style where like, you know, one move could, could win the match and one move can kind of transform and not, not every match needs to be back and forth and all this sort of stuff. And I agree, not every match needs to be a 30-minute epic where people are throwing bombs at one another and, and whatnot. You don't have to do that. But the reason that those old New Japan matches worked, like like say a Shinya Hashimoto, we mentioned, you know, actually Hashimoto at the top, it's a very Hashimoto uh, heavy show. But one of the things that made the Shinya Hashimoto matches great, and and even though they were sometimes over in eight minutes or over in seven minutes or whatever, it was there was an aura of danger that he would throw one bomb at you and you knew it was done. That there was that sense that this dude is a badass, and when he wants to kind of finish you off, he can finish you off. Naito isn't that guy. Sort of have him. Get worked over, get worked over, get worked over by Suzuki. And the, and the the working over was not compelling at all. Suzuki was just laying in a leg lock, slapping the leg, lay, you know, leg lock, leg lock. It, it was just, it wasn't compelling at all. It, it wasn't, you know, anything that, that would have mattered. And, you know, it, it wasn't that dissimilar to what we saw, you know, last year with, with, with him and, and, and Okada. But the thing is, Okada was so good at selling that leg and so good at, at, at really driving home the danger and the aura that Suzuki is killing this guy. That Suzuki's actually destroying this guy that it sort of helped that match and it made that match that much better. This was the same style, but Naito was just kind of casually selling the knee, kind of casually working through the the pain and working through the danger, and then just hits the casino, and then it's over. And that that just that's not going to work. It just doesn't work for those characters. It just didn't work for those guys, and it didn't work on that night because the crowd didn't seem that enthused by it either. And 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 the consensus among pretty much everybody that watched it was, yeah, that was kind of a dud. That was just kind of fine. And like, I don't mean a dud in the actual you know wrestling observer sense because right, like right, you right. said, two and a half, three stars, something like that. But man, that's a dud on the on the New Japan scale. I mean, we are so used to these main events being so good, and we're so used to these two guys in particular Suzuki and Naito having great performances as of late and and, and big performance into big matches that when they go out there and they just have an okay match a fine match it's just not enough and this one was just that it just was there it was just boring and then it was over and there was no real comeback no ebbs and flows no roller coaster ride no emotions it was just Suzuki works him over Suzuki works him over Naito comes back for a little bit hits the destino when it's over and there just wasn't there wasn't anything that to really sink your teeth into once the match was over I have a couple different thoughts here. I just thought um, you say it was similar to the Okada match. I agree in the sense that it was a leg match, but the difference was in the Okada match with Suzuki, Okada was in that leg lock. The the, the, the big spot in that match was Okada being in that leg lock for like 15 minutes straight and screaming in pain. And, you know, I thought Okada's performance in that match blew away Naito's performance. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. this was structured a little differently in that it was Suzuki working over the leg and Naito making these little mini comebacks and then getting cut off. What it reminded me of more than the Okada match, it reminded those 13, but one of those two years, uh, the Naito never run. Remember when he was having all of those leg matches when he came back from his knee surgery and we didn't like any of them? The matches against Yujiro, the match against Masato Tanaka, and they were all the same. They were all these leg matches, and Naito's comebacks were just, uh, you know, his selling was spotty. His comebacks were were dull and uninspired, and that's what we saw here against Suzuki. They re- this really reminded me of one of those never era Naito matches, and those matches were not good. Uh, the other thing about this. I think they structured a match. They structured peaks into this matches. I'll give you two examples. When they got into the slap fight, that was supposed to pop the crowd. It didn't. Then there was uh, another spot where Naito went 
for the top rope um, um Hurricane Rana and um and uh and 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 Suzuki reversed it into the in into like a uh, into a in, in, into the knee bar over the ropes uh that was another spot that was that was designed to be uh to to pop the crowd and it did they put they 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 built peaks into this match it just didn't work for it didn't it didn't work for this crowd this crowd was waiting around for a match that they never got they were waiting around for that classic new japan closing stretch that they never got now here's the thing how often does suzuki really give you that suzuki more than anybody else on the roster doesn't do the finisher exchange right. for, for he doesn't do that try to think about it rich i'm sure there you know and maybe a listener and couple one who has ever kicked out of the gotch pile drive? well yeah and on the flip side of that too and, and, and wh park on uh, postwrestling.com they have the post pre uh, show it's uh, john pollock and, and wh park and they had a show i think they released it uh, either this morning or, or yesterday uh, and wh is a fan of the show as well wh is a great follow as well on twitter uh mentioned that suzuki on his end like if you go back really go back and look at the history suzuki's not a guy that kicks out of finishers either you hit right. his finisher on suzuki he considers it done he hits the gotch yeah. pile driver on you he considers it done he's not a, a Kenny that Omega type or let's throw V triggers at each other 10 times yeah. and then two Rainmakers I'm gonna kick out and then and then eventually it's gonna that's what's gonna kill me Suzuki is very much a you hit your finisher on me I'm done and I hit my finisher on you and you're done he's kind of the classic style in, in that sense yeah. so they, that, they both that was that. actually yeah that's gonna be my next point no one kicks out of the gotch and Suzuki never kicks out of finishers just like he said so that's what we had here he got hit with one Destino and that was that I think it just the match that they constructed which was, I mean, nothing, you know, there were a couple sloppy points, but there was really nothing quote unquote wrong with the match, but it just didn't get over with this crowd. And the finish came off flat as fuck and it just wasn't a great match. And it was, it, it's going to go down as one of the, the worst new Japan main events of this era. I think there's no question about it. Um, you know, it just, it just did not work. So I think we're in agreement there. Neither one of us loved it. Um, do you other you have any other thoughts on that, or can we talk about the Not other? Really. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's for the first time ever we probably didn't go like usually these New Japan main events are like thirty minutes long. And we talk about them for forty minutes. This one was thirty minutes, and I think we're done in ten minutes. I got nothing else. It's it's it is what it was. It was boring, and it, not, it didn't appeal to me. It didn't appeal to the crowd. And what sucks is like the build was so awesome, and people were were foaming at the fucking mouth for this match. Like that's the thing is it wasn't like you know you could say oh the story just didn't land, and nobody believed that Suzuki, and nobody believed that no. The fans, everywhere they went on this entire tour, people were, you know, foaming at the mouth to see this match. People couldn't wait to see these two dudes face off. And then, like you said, I think fans were, were waiting for some match that they just never really got and waiting for, for something that they never got. Because, yeah, that was kind of the fascinating part about this is it wasn't like a build that just didn't connect with, with, with fans all across Japan. It did. It's just when the match actually came and, and people kind of saw what they were going to get and, and, and saw kind of what the match was, it just didn't attract to them at all. It just didn't, didn't you know, meet up with, with the audience expectations. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting in that sense where, where you have such a good build and such an awesome build such a build with so much emotion and so much you know fever from the crowd and then it's just the match is just kind of there and the crowd just did not care at all evil and sonata successfully defend the tag titles against killer elite squad i thought this match was well built too speaking of the build of naito suzuki i was not into the build early and then they won me over over the course of the tour and then they you know they you know did this wet fart when it came down to the match. So it was disappointing. Um, Killer Elite Squad, I thought, looked great uh, in, the, in the build up to this. I didn't think they would win the titles back. They did not. Look, this wasn't any kind of great match of the year caliber, uh, you know, match either, but I enjoyed this more than the main event, you know, because they went in there, uh, they told their story, and uh, they got in. It was a very simple, um, 
uh, classic tag team story that they told here. And the champions, uh, from that perspective, I mean, I thought this was only like a three, three and a quarter star match. But, you know, when you're in and out in 17 minutes as opposed to 30 and you don't have the, the you know, the, these massive expectations, you end up enjoying a match like this more. There's, I, I like this match, but there was one thing that happened that sort of took me out of it and it really hurt me. And it probably shouldn't, and it, I, I shouldn't really care. And I should just kind of say, ah, whatever it is, what it is. But there was a point, I don't know if it bothered you as well. There was, uh, so I believe it was Archer that, that took off one of the turnbuckle pads. Because uh, they were going to, you know, work over Sonata and Evil and throw him into the pads or whatever. So yeah. Red Shoes turns around while Archer's doing it, looks at Archer doing it. Archer does it. He takes the pad off. Red Shoes looks at him. Archer hides it behind his back and sort of kicks it away. And then yeah. they just start, like, throwing him into the corner and Red Shoes doesn't do anything. And I'm like, all right. You know, I I, I understand. It's for wrestling referees. I should just let it go. I should just say, ah, whatever. Especially it's Red Shoes. He's, you know... The red shoes is kind of you know the rules are a little lax to red shoes. He'll he'll and you know hey if the count outs I'm not going to count. But this was like really egregious. Like it was it was he saw him take the turnbuckle pad off. He saw the turnbuckle pad in Archer's hands, and then he saw them obviously throw him into the turnbuckle pad. And then the turnbuckle pad and the exposed ring buckle was like a big part of the match the rest of the way. I was just like, you could stop this. You don't have to let this happen. It's just like, I don't know. I, it, it shouldn't have bothered me, and I still enjoyed the match, but it was something that I just could not let go. The rest of the match, you know when there's like that one thing that happens, and it just kind of like, you just kind of disconnect. You kind of lose yeah. it, and you're just like, that's all I could focus on. I was just looking at that ropes and wondering, okay, is he going to replace the mat? Is he going to say, don't use that corner anymore? Is he going to stand in the corner? And it just it, it consumed all my thoughts for the rest of this match. But I just thought that was like one of the more egregious, you know, red shoes and, 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 you know, Japanese referees performances I've seen in quite some time. It was just, I, for some reason that happened and I just could not focus the rest of the match. It took you out of the match. This, this also had the yank the ref out at the, you know, right before the three count thing that I can't. Oh, your favorite. Yes. Yeah. Your favorite. Uh, My favorite thing on this show actually was the Heyman special that they did with the two, uh, singles matches with the two teams that are feuding over the junior tag team titles, which by the way, I don't know if you went back and watched the Cork and Hall main event where uh, 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 Despi and Kanemoto, to, you know, defended against Bushi and Hiromu, but that was an excellent main event. Well worth your time to go back and watch off of that show. Uh, but those two teams both had singles matches here and they did the old Heyman special. What's the Heyman special? It's where one match seamlessly bleeds into the next uh, with no break in between. So uh, Bushi and Despi went out there and uh, really their portion of it was just really a two star special as they fought to DQ as their partners came running out. And then that seamlessly just transitioned into Hiromu versus Kanemaru, which fucking ruled. Hiromu was out of his mind in this match. This was classic CMLL Hiromu where he is just taking bumps that he has no business taking in a match of this caliber, where it's just kind of a setup match for the next tag team title match that these two teams eventually have. He was nuts. He was out of his fucking gourd in this thing. I loved every second of it. Kanemaru, to me, this was his best New Japan match yet. I mean, in terms of uh, working as a heel, uh, you know, being sort of, you know, the the, the grumpy heel, uh, you know, you know, uh, a counterpart to Hiromu's, you know, insanity. Uh, but I just love this from start to finish. Uh, both matches, uh, one match bleeding into the other, and then uh, Hiromu sort of winning the segment for Lij, I guess, with the first match having no finish and putting away Kanemaru. Uh, but but to me. This long, I, I I call it one long segment with these two teams. This was the most. This was the what I enjoyed the most on the entire show. 
Yeah, it felt different. It felt unique, and, and you don't get that from New Japan much. Like a very unique, like everything in New Japan seems to be very structured. The matches yeah. kind of all happen. Guys go out of the ring. You know, this guy happens. This it's like you can pretty much you know close your eyes and know what's going to happen. You know, in the finish of a match and how the next match is going to progress to the next one or whatnot. And this is different. This is kind of a, a, a weird kind of rejiggering of it. Uh, you mentioned Hiromu being nuts. Yeah, he. I, I, if I remember correctly, the first spot was him doing like a tope into like a hurricane round or some bullshit. Like he's just a fucking nutcase. That dude is is incredible. Yeah, the, the, the stuff he was doing and and. Kenamore is obviously not a guy that's going to do you know death defying things or whatever, but still it takes it takes two to tango and it takes someone to to be that base for Hiromu to do all of his crazy shit as well. So no, I enjoyed that one as well. And and the, the first match, kind of the first part of the segment, if you will, the, the Bushi El Desperado, I really enjoyed that. And I was kind of pissed that the they, I like the Hammond special. It's something I've always kind of enjoyed, but I kind of thought that match was getting somewhere. And I was kind of like, all right, let's go, let's go. Like I, I it was really kind of getting to the next level. It was really getting to a point that I enjoyed, it. and then it kind of got cut off. And I was a little pissed about that because you know you you thought it was just okay. I really enjoyed it i thought there was something kind of happening there and it seemed like it got cut off pretty early at 10 minutes and i was kind of waiting to see okay look let me see the last five minutes of this match and it got kind of cut off so that kind of stuff you know it's you know bushy I, I there's something about bushy i don't like i mean i i, I like the idea of bushy i like that he's is it the nail polish yes. it's the nail polish isn't it? it it's it's i don't give a fuck about the nail polish okay what it is about Bushi, but between the, the bells, the lipstick, it's probably lipstick. It's not the lipstick, okay. but between the bells, um, he just, he's a little sloppy. He's a little off. He's not as refined as some of the other juniors in the company and his shit always falls a little flat for me in a single setting. I, I like the tag team with Hiromu and I love this feud. I love that they've gotten away from the three ways a little bit and they've sort of focused on these two teams. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, Hiromu comes flying out. He gives Despi the, the missile dropkick off the apron where he lands on the floor and then he tries it again, the Kanemuro and Kanemuro just steps out of the way and he lands on his back again. And I'm like, why is he killing himself in front of 3000 fans in this like sort of gauntlet match sort of thing? But that's Hiromu. He's fucking nuts. Hiromu. He's like the antithesis of Hideki Suzuki. He's like all effort all the time. And uh, and he's a maniac, and you know there's there, there's you know you just you gotta love the guy. Um, the rest of this show was mostly inconsequential multi-man tags. We'll go through it quickly. Uh, Yuji Nagata teamed with Ren Narita. They defeated Shoto Aminu and Tomoyuki Oka. We've talked about the Young Lions and this great class of Young Lions that they have right now at length. We're not going to do that today. Uh, David Finley, Jushin Liger, Ryusuke Taguchi, and Tiger Mask defeated a chaos combination of uh, Rocky Romero, Sho Yo, and Jay White. Uh, nothing really to talk about here other than Jay White always seems a little bit disinterested when he's teaming with his other chaos partners, to- Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano uh, defeated uh, to- uh, Toa Hanare and Togi Makabe. Ishii and Yano have been racking up tag team wins. You got to wonder um, with all of these wins, if they're ever going to get a title shot, um, but uh, we'll have to see about that. Ishii and Hanare have been on the opposite sides of each other on this entire tour, including that awesome singles match that they had, which I went four and a quarter on. Did you see that yet? I've not, yeah, I've not seen that one yet. That's one that I've definitely uh, got pegged. I've, you know, obviously it's been a few busy weeks at work, but that's one that I'm definitely going to see because I'm, I'm loving that feud. I, I love Hanare, so yeah, that's one I definitely want to see. But no, I've, I've not seen it yet. But I've heard nothing but good things about it, so I can't wait. There were two more matches here. Uh, there was a Suzuki Gun four man team: Taichi, Taka, Azuka, and Zack Saber Jr. They beat Golden Lovers, Chase Owens, and and Yujiro. And then there was an eight man tag with uh, Tanahashi, Juice Robinson, Kushida, and Elgin. 
and they beat Hiroki Goto, Okada, Osprey, and Yoshihashi. Good energy there, but nothing that you need to see. If you're going to watch this show, you can skip right to the Bushi Desperado match and watch the last four matches and not miss a thing. Yeah, well, you can really skip the main event, honestly. You know what I mean? Like, I, I feel bad saying that, but you know what I mean? Like, I, do you really want to waste 30 minutes of your life watching that? Yeah, I mean, if 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 you if you want to watch it just because it was an important match and a title change, I could see it. But you're really not missing a great match. You know, I didn't see anybody. I saw no dissenting opinion. No, nobody no, everybody pretty much thought match. it kind of stunk. Like there was nobody that was like, "No, you're wrong. It was great." Like it's it's pretty much like everybody sort of assumes and 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 sort of all agrees that it was disappointing. I, it, it, maybe if you didn't think it was bad, and I don't think we thought it was bad. We just thought it was average. But everybody's left with disappointing. Just disappointing is the word that you always see. And, and like, I guess we, we forgot to mention that yeah, Naito won the title. <laughs> I don't even know if we said that, that he beat Suzuki and wins the Intercontinental title and does the same thing. He kind of throws it in the air, doesn't really care, that sort of stuff uh, is kind of the build of it as well. So Naito, again, has a title. He has the IC title now, and they'll be obviously using him for the next few months, kind of draw as that 1B champion or whatnot. So, um, you know, cool that Naito has the title again, but yeah, kind of weird that it took us until this to like say, oh yeah, he won the title. Like it, it was that much of a nothing match that you don't even really remember what the whole point of it was. Right. So that leads us to Dantaku, which is on a split. It's a split show in Fukuoka 5-3 and 5-4. We'll have to see if Kota Ibushi shows up. Supposedly he's lost in Fukuoka and can't find his hotel room. Did you see this, <laughs> I saw that. So people that didn't follow on, on Twitter, he kind of uh, a few hours ago, posted something that said, I'm lost, help. And that was all it was, which is a pretty, uh, you know, like, pretty scary tweet. Uh, and then he he posted something a little bit later. And Chris Charlton, our, you know, friend of the site, uh, Chris Charlton uh, translated that and said that he essentially left his hotel room without his, his cell phone, forgot what the name of his hotel is, and then is now wandering around the city trying to find his hotel. So... If you see, if you are, <laughs> if you see Kotobushi wandering the streets, please find him and, and and get him to the appropriate place, whatever that place is, because he doesn't remember the name either. So, um, yeah, that kind of sucks. I feel like that could happen to me. Like, if you don't know where you don't, if you don't know the name of your hotel, how would you ever? And you don't have your cell phone. Like, how do you possibly figure that out? How did he tweet without his phone? That's an interesting question. I don't know. It's a very interesting. Did he question. stop off in a you know at a cyber cafe or something and log in? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting question that I had not thought of at all. So that's uh, uh, you have an interesting theory there. I I don't know. Bizarre. Um. So anyway, when you get split shows and really forget just the split show, when you get really a tour where all of the major matches were spread out among like six or seven different shows, when you consider that there were three Korokins, Hinokuni, Road, two Dantakus. Uh, you're really left with a couple of shows that resemble Hinokuni in a lot of ways, where it's a lot of tags and then two or three matches with any sort of serious consequence. So uh, the five, three show uh, where the rubber really meets the road are the last three matches. You've got Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida against Willow spray and Okada. Uh, that should be great. That's actually a rematch. They did that match on one of the shows earlier on the tour, and I, I thought it was a four-star match. So uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, I think the, 20, the 27th, maybe, 427. I, it, it's like you said, it's been kind of a dizzying tour because there's been a lot of stuff, but I believe it was the four. It was the, whatever the show was before Hinokuni. So I think the 27th was, was that tag match. Yeah, and Tanahashi Pindo Spray. Um, let me see if I can find the date as I rifle through my notes like Dave Meltzer. Yeah, I was going to say, that was a nice little like paper note thing. Do you actually have paper notes here? I have paper notes, yeah. Wow, nice. Uh, let's see. I like the paper notes. I like having okay, my I'm going to be super silent. I'm going to be like a, a weirdly silent for a long amount of time while you rifle through your notes because that's the uh, the, the Wrestling Was Ever Live uh, uh, experience. So 
Yeah, yeah, I'm rifling through rifle, rifle, rifle louder, and I will be more quiet. So, oh, I'm looking at 2017. Well, that's not going to. That's help. a problem. That's going to be an issue. All right, go go rifle through, and I'll be quiet. All right, I'm looking at. You got to occasionally be like, mm, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, <laughs> let me see if I got okay, it was 427. Tanahashi and Kushida. Uh, defeat Okada and Willow Spray. I went four flat. That was the show that had Goto versus Juice Robinson. Right. Was that for, what's the date? Was that, what was the date on that one again? As uh, four twenty seven. Okay, so I was correct at four twenty seven. Yeah. So that, that's one that. Uh, yeah. So if you want to go back, uh, that was a pretty good show all in all as well. That's a definitely one to check out uh, on the store. But yeah, that's been kind of the weird thing about this Ontaku tour is that if you took the big singles matches from every single one of like the 15 shows or whatever and put them all into one show you got like an awesome mega Dontaku show like if if you know five four in fukuoka was all of those singles matches all at once we're talking about like an amazing mega card but it's so spread out that you're left with what this you know wrestling Dontaku night one the one we're talking about five three which is really just like not a very good card I and mean, you'll get to it a little bit and like the five four obviously has you know tanashi and okada which we'll get to in a sec but yeah it's, it's it was a really fascinating tour more so than almost any other new japan tour that we've had recently and we talked about this many many years ago when they kind of went with the split tours they decided to kind of split the you know the big matches between two shows this was a unique one where they split them like five or six different ways like if you had juice and goto on uh, one of these nights like you're talking about a much better show just on itself like if, if you had jay white and david finley on one of these shows you're talking about a little bit better but things were so spread out that you're left with these two big shows which really for all intents and purposes have about four you know big time singles matches and the rest are just really tag matches whereas yeah, if you put everyone in a big match you know in one show it's a mega show and it's it's, a, it's pretty fascinating uh to see how they kind of did this entire tour yeah, and they're, trying, they're trying to draw a bunch of uh mid-sized level crowds on one tour is what they were trying to do so right uh, they'll do that match again on this show and then uh the top two matches are kota abushi versus cody and kenny omega versus hangman page so this is your golden lovers portion of don taku on the first night uh fourth from the top is a 10-man tag with lij versus suzuki gun as that rages on and i guess i should note firmly smack dab in the mid card remember the never open weight six-man tag team titles rich do you remember those uh, i have heard of them and i uh i do kind of remember them but uh can you explain what they were or what, what the background of those were yeah it's the uh bad look fale and Rulers of Destiny, uh, to refresh your memory, Rich, they are the champions. They've held the titles for quite a while now, and they will defend against the Young Bucks and Marty Skrull. I don't think enough people are talking about that. That could be a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of got lost in the shuffle here, but um, that's an interesting matchup. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other multi-man tag matches on this show, uh, you know, strewn about 5-4 the next night. Uh, the business end of the card, as we kind of blow through this, um, you know, is, is a tremendous, is, is just going to be incredible. It's Willow Spray defending against Kushida and Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. By the way, Rich, Okada and Tanahashi are having a match this week. Yeah, yeah and I, I have the preview up on the website, and I was kind of like, am I alone in that, that, like, there's not that much buzz? And it's like, what the fuck? It's like, Flutter Steamboat, what's going on? Like, this is a big-time match. This is a huge opportunity. And, like, the, the stakes of this match, too, are insane. We're going to talk about them here in a sec. But, like, I don't know. Are, are, are you kind of sensing the same thing I am? Like, the, the VOW buzzometer is not really ticking as much as it should be because it's fucking Okada and Tanahashi this weekend, like, in, like, two days. What the fuck? No, I mean, between Greatest Royal Rumble and, you know, these Cow Palace tickets going on sale and this Dantaku tour just having everything spread out. Um, yeah, it's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle that 
you know, the greatest modern rivalry in professional wrestling is having its latest chapter with Tanahashi's record on the line uh, and Okada looking to uh, break that record against uh, his, his greatest rival and the man that he replaced as ace. Um, you know, the story writes itself. Uh, these guys have obviously had some of the greatest matches of all time against each other. And I am genuinely curious what they come up with here. Because, um, you know, if, if if these guys go out there and put up a three-star dud uh, the way Suzuki and Naito did, uh, then, uh, you know, that combined with, uh, you know, first-day sales for Cow Palace, then, uh, you know, maybe somebody's shitting someone's cornflakes in New Japan, and it's all just going downhill fast. I expect this to be incredible. Uh, I expect this to be super dramatic. And, I, you know, and, and look at it this way. How many more big-time main events like this does Tanahashi have left? And he knows that. So he's not going to go out there to have, you know, some mundane match. You know, I really think Tanahashi, who is a wrestling genius, is going to come up with something here. Look, all of the great matches Okada and Tanahashi had, all of them were different. You could, you know, you, you remember things about all of them that were different from the others. You know, whether it was Tanahashi trying to take out, you know, Okada's legs in the one match, the arm match from Invasion Attack, the uh, the time limit draw, the two time limit draws, uh, the shocking title change and new beginning. You know, all of the matches were very different. And I expect this one to be, too. And uh, I'm very curious what they come up here with here and and what could be the last big time main event for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Who knows? Yeah, and I think the, the the real focus of this entire match is the number 12, and that's what this is all about, and that's why like I have no doubt in my mind that Tanahashi is going to go out there and do everything he can to absolutely kill it because, you know, Okada has got 11 successful side defenses. He's tied Tanahashi for the most of all time, and he does Tanahashi does not want this asshole to get 12. Like, he might be, you know, in the last leg of his career, like you said, Tanahashi might be through the midlife crisis and trying to, you know, kind of figure out his life and figure out what's next and and, 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 and kind of get an idea of what he's going to, you know, what's the rest of his career going to be like and what, you know, what's he going to do when Okada's on this amazing run. But still, at the end of the day, he doesn't want that fucker to beat him. He doesn't want that fucker to get that. He, that's one of his sacred little crowns that he has. One of the last little things that Tanashi can still sort of hold on to and, and, and still has. And he doesn't want Okada to have it. And yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Tanahashi's going to go and bust his ass. There's no way he's not going to give as much effort, 100% effort in this match, because why wouldn't you? The story kind of dictates that, that Tanahashi should think this is life and death, that Tanahashi should be in the middle of his midlife crisis and understand this is my last gasp. If I don't do it here, I might never be able to do it again. I might never have that chance to do it again. And I think what's kind of cool is that their last you know, result was that time limit draw. So it kind of puts a little bit doubt in your mind of like, okay, look, like, you know, Okada couldn't couldn't beat him last time. Like, you know what I mean? It went to a draw. Tanashi, you know, I don't know that he has his number, but, but you know, Tanashi's coming in as the underdog, but still, like, and, and probably the biggest underdog he's been in any of these matches prior, but still, like, th- there's something in there. Like the last match they had was a draw. And and really, when you when you take in the totality of this entire rivalry, it's tied up. When you tie when you when you add in the, you know the young line match, it's tied up. And this is kind of the the maybe the last rubber match, maybe the rubber match. Maybe this is the one that finally breaks it. And and there's so much on the line there with Tanahashi not wanting us to see that 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 you know that that title reign. He doesn't want you know Okada to have the 12 successful title reigns and beat him and and, and take one of the last things that Tanahashi has. So yeah, I mean it's it's there's so much to the story and it's so cool and the the build's been awesome too because it's kind of been like a greatest hits build as well. Like you have Okada dropping the tombstone on the outside and I, I I don't I there's been so many of these awesome builds and stuff. You know what I mean? Like I do you recall which match that was exactly that built up? I thought that was was that the Wrestle Kingdom nine one. Uh, the tombstones on the outside. 
the tombstone on the outside. I, you know, I'm terrible at that. I couldn't. I think tell it's you Russell Kingdom Nine. I'm almost positive it is, but I, I don't know for a fact. I know the it's not. The, is, it's not the 2013 ones. Yeah, it, this is a callback going back three or four years. Right. Point. Right. And there's been little stuff. There's been little things here and there that, that are sort of the, you, you know, little subtle callbacks and all these things just kind of say, okay, look, this is, and that's what makes, and that's when we always talk about why we love New Japan. Something as simple as that and not, you know, making it super obvious why he's doing it. It's just, Okada does it. He does the tombstone on the outside and the casual fan might go, oh, wow, that's a tombstone on the outside. That must hurt him. Oh, wow. He's really, you know, taking it to Tanahashi, but the fans that kind of have invested, have watched the, the the programs for many, many years have, have followed it, know that, oh my God, that's a, that's a callback to, you know, Russell Kingdom nine or whatever. That's a callback to 2015. Like they don't have yeah. to hit you over the head with it, but it just kind of, it happens. It's subtle, but it rewards you for, for that. And it doesn't yeah. make you feel like an idiot if you don't know why he's doing that, but it just adds another level if you do know. So I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a pretty important thing. And, and I've loved the build and I'm, I'm excited about the match. And yeah, I've been kind of surprised that I haven't seen um, as many people kind of talking about it. Cause it's like, fuck it. So God, it's Tanahashi and yeah. they're going to have a great match. It's going to be fucking awesome. There's no way it's not going to be great. I'm real hyped for it. I mean, and one thing I just want to say about this series of matches before we move on to WWE and the greatest Royal rumble, um, you know, the fact of the matter is I'm not sure that this show that you're listening to right now exists without the Okada Tanahashi rivalry. Um, you know, it, it, it literally began the same month that we began the show. And we talk about it all the time. The rise of new Japan really came at a perfect time for us. And whatever minor success that, that we have doing this, we owe to the rise of new Japan and we owe really to the Okada Tanahashi rivalry. Um, we've probably spent the majority of our time talking about that rivalry um, on this show um, more than any other, you know, uh, matchup uh, in wrestling over that course of time by far talking about these two guys, and these two guys going, it's in the opening of the show, rich where I'm screaming about Hiroshi Tanahashi and his performance in a match against Okada. And, 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 you know, you're, you're screaming back at me, Joe, stop screaming at me. I agree. I mean, that's in our opening, you know, it's, it's, it's it, it and it, you know it's really this series of matches and this rivalry it means a lot to us because it all occurred during the course of the growth of this show and uh and 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 really it's i think to a lot of people um it's their rivalry is synonymous with our show um you know a lot of people who listens to this show and heard us raving about these matches, went out and sought them out, and then became New Japan fans because of the matches that these two guys had. And, you know, Rich and I being raving lunatics about them, and, and they're like, oh, well, I got to check this out. And now those people are New Japan fans, and, 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 and that's just a um, really cool to think about. And, um, you know, that this will probably be the last one for a long time unless Tanahashi wins. Um, which I don't think he will. And, uh, you know, it's it's six years of these two guys going at it and six years of us doing this dopey show. So 
Yeah, and, and that's a great point that you bring up because I think I, I don't know that I would be a New Japan fan. I, maybe it would have come up at some point. It probably would have. You know, at some point I would have yeah. eventually found my way to New Japan, you know, maybe in the, the most recent years or whatever. But it was really this that 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 first match. And I think it was a point where you had told me and 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 there'd been years of you saying, Hey, you should watch this, you should watch this. Cause on a roll net, you know, we before we did this podcast, we you know, we would talk on on the virtual sports network forum and mad mania. We go back to like these, you know, sport games, sport video game forums, and for years and years and years you'd badger because there was there's a crew of, of a few of us that all talked about wrestling on there. There was me, you know, we talk about Larry uh, boxing ropes on, uh, on, uh, on our forums as well that, that, you know, me, you Larry and, and a few other guys would always talk about wrestling. And, and you kept saying, you got to watch this new Japan thing. Here's this match. You'd always recommend matches to me, always recommend matches. And I would just go, ah, you know, the language barrier. I don't really want to watch it. Ah, whatever. I was kind of that guy that would just rather bitch about WWE or, or, you know, and like I watched ring of honor, I watched independent wrestling, but there were, for whatever reason, I was just never whatever. I didn't need to get in Japan, Japanese wrestling. I had enough stuff going on in ring of honor. And, you know, if I didn't like WWE, I just wouldn't watch wrestling or whatever. And that was fine. And then finally this match, and it was that the, the first Okada Tanahashi match, new beginning 2012. And you said, Rich, if you're, if you need a time to get in and start watching this stuff, this is your exact moment. This guy is, a, is going to be a star. He just had a star making performance. And now there's a new era in new Japan. So if you want to jump in now is the perfect time to do it. And I finally did. And that the second that match ended, I went, Holy shit. This Okada guy's awesome. Holy shit. This Tanahashi guy's awesome. I need more of this. And I haven't looked back since then. You know, and that's we, we started our show in the first show. Like you're talking and, and people, if they go back and listen to it, you're talking about New Japan. And I'm kind of like, yeah, OK, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times you're saying, hey, you should watch this. Hey, you should like you're still doing that to me. And, and, and it hadn't quite sunk in yet that I should fucking watch this stuff. And th- it was that match where you said, hey, look, if you're never going to if, if you are ever going to watch this, if you're ever going to sort of get in now is the time. We talk about that a lot. We're, we're a perfect entry point to drag it, a perfect entry point into whatever promotion. This was the ideal entry point for anybody from new japan because like and, and and our good friend alan forel always brings it up too that there's he puts a clear line at this of, of a different era okada paints yeah. Tanahashi at new beginning that set off the okada era that is a Absolutely. new era that is a slash line and now everything after that is a certain thing and nothing yep. before that counts as the same it's sort of a, a, a it's a new era it's a completely new change on the promotion and, and that was great that's sort of my entry point and is this podcast entry point and it's just it, it, it's it's really cool yeah that we've sort of like you said this dopey podcast has sort of went along with this feud so i've always kind of gotten a personal attachment to it and i'm staring at a magazine cover of these two guys you, you know you know next to me as i do this podcast every single time like it's 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 yeah it's just something that's sort of been a part of our show and some of our our, our biggest shows and i believe still are our most listened to shows yeah. are our previews or reviews of these matches yeah whether it be Russell yeah, kingdom we- 9 Russell kingdom 10 i mean those are our top listened to shows still to this day yeah, this show may not exist without this feud because maybe New Japan doesn't take off without Okada. And then, you know, and New Japan, we make the bones about it, was very instrumental in our growth. And then maybe if, you know, no one's ever listening to this thing, we get bored talking to no one. Because, you know, it, it's, it's yeah, we enjoy doing this, but it's nice that people are actually listening. You know, and, and maybe if, if we never did pick up listeners because new Japan never grew and we didn't have the, the instrument. Maybe this show doesn't exist right now. So, um, you know, this rivalry besides producing some wrestling rivalry of all time is also very important to us and very important to the show. So, um, I just thought that was worth mentioning before we uh, pivoted off of it. And I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about the match next week. So all the haters, you can all blame o- Okada and Tanahashi. Not that you wouldn't already blame them probably for the show, but yes. now you know officially who to blame for the show is, 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 is those guys. So <laughs> there's that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned there, 
there I've seen a little bit of a groundswell of people saying, you know, I, I there's some Tanahashi. I don't know, maybe Tanahashi. Like that's that's kind of been the funny thing is like I think everybody knows that that Okada is the favorite. Everybody's going into this match assuming Okada is going to win, but it's been kind of fun that we've had people in our mentions like, and every tweet is kind of the same. Like, hey guys. They 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 can't make Tanashi win, right? And it's always like this weird sort of apprehension. Like, hey guys, Okada's winning, you know, right? Like that's kind of all. It's 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 fun to see kind of our mentions of that of people, you know, knowing okay, yeah, it's definitely gonna be this, but I, maybe it's not though. And that's that's something New Japan's kind of cultivated. I think it's pretty cool that people can have that idea. I mean, we saw at Wrestle Kingdom. You and I were here saying ninety nine percent percent chance that you know Naito's winning and lock it in and let's start talking about Naito and then Naito doesn't win and and. And this is another match of that, but do you have any idea? I mean, it, 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 even a, a, an ounce that, that Tanahashi is going to win this match. I mean, I think you just nailed it. It's like New Japan has taught us that we can never be 100% certain anymore with two key Wrestle Kingdom finishes. Naito losing this year and Okada losing to Tanahashi that one year. Where we were all convinced. Yeah, Wrestle Kingdom Nine. That was the coronation of Okada. Then he gets, you know, beaten and cries out to the outside of the ring or whatever. Yeah, it's it's that was a big moment. I mean, we we again on the Wrestle Kingdom Nine preview, we're like, all right, here we go. Let's start the era of Okada. And then no, it nope nope, it did not start. So yeah, it's it's they've they've tricked us before. Yeah. So now you can never be completely sure. That's a credit to them uh, for planting those kinds of seeds. So yeah, obviously, I think Okada's winning the match. Um, but I'm, I'm very hesitant ever to say 100% anymore with these guys. Um, Tanahashi winning would be a shocking finish, um, you know, but I mean, look, if with Jericho showing up, I mean, you know, you know who knows? Maybe a Jericho challenging Tanahashi instead of challenging Okada. Who knows? Not overthink it and, 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 and just watch and, and, and watch it unfold and, and 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 maybe it is the final chapter, maybe it isn't. But I, I know I'm just going to enjoy the fuck out of it, and I, I really can't wait. It's 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 a special rivalry to me, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm really into this match, and I'm just going to sit back and I'm I'm believe it or not, I'm probably going to turn off the Twitter machine and just fucking watch it and um and enjoy it, uh you know uh from my couch. Yeah, and and like you said, because it could be that it could be the last you know big time, and not necessarily the big like you said the kind of. I think without any doubt, it's almost going to be, you know, probably very likely the last Okada Tanahashi big time match, but it could be the last big time match of Tanahashi's career, like uh, alone. So it's sort of not only just the, the kind of the coronation of this feud and the coronation of, of, of all that's kind of been Okada and Tanahashi, but it could be the coronation really of, of, of the end of, of, of the Tanahashi's entire run here. And run as the, the ace, as run as a main event guy, because if he doesn't do it, 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 it's very symbolic. Okada beats his record. Okada becomes the greatest IWGP heavyweight champion ever. Okada finally, you know, gets the, the advantage over Tanahashi. You know, if you go back to the Young Lion match or whatever, Okada now has no, there's nothing left for Tanahashi. Okada has beat him numerous times, beat him for the title, beat his record, and beat him in this match. And it's kind of over then. You know what I mean? Like Tanahashi's kind of done. And, and that's kind of been it for Tanahashi. If, if Tanahashi isn't fighting Okada and isn't sort of trying to get at Okada, what is left of main event Tanahashi? What's left of a Tanahashi that that's over now you know what I mean and that's kind of done and that's sort of the symbolic thing too is that you're not only saying goodbye possibly to Okada Tanahashi you're saying goodbye to Tanahashi being the ace and being a main event guy and that's that's there's a lot of a lot of years there because I mean he goes and you're one of the biggest Tanahashi fans in the world and that's kind of it you know what I mean like that's this could be that moment where it's like this is my last chance to in the moment see this guy at the top of his game main eventing a big time New Japan match yeah 
one last note before we move on to WWE. Uh, someone on Twitter, actually, I'm going through our mentions right now. This guy, Matt Giggy. I don't know who this is. He did the math. You know, the, the Cow Palace show already drew five, a $500,000 gate based on the tickets that were sold. So because of those ticket prices, I mean, even with only 4,000 tickets sold or whatever it is, they've already crossed the $500,000. Is that, is this math right? Could that possibly be right? Um, who I don't, because I, the majority of the tickets are, are $80 and under all the expensive tickets are gone. So I think he's right. That's crazy. So, you know, because of the ticket structure, I mean, they're going to make a shit ton of money on this show. Yeah, I don't think I w- there was ever a doubt there, but I think the aesthetics of it too. Like we always said, and we said that with the All In as well. Like All In could get five thousand people, and they all those people pay a bunch of money, and they, they sell a bunch of merch and all that sort of stuff. But still, if 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 you pan the crowd and half the deck, you know, half the upper deck is empty or half the crowd's empty, there's going to be that sort of aesthetic thing, the the the, the idea of failure because you've you've booked oh, this yeah. arena and you don't fill it. So yeah, like I have no doubt that financially it's going to be a successful show for them, but there's still that aesthetic of like. Even seven thousand, it's like ah man, like you know, come on, you can't do. You got, you said you were going to do ten thousand. It's kind of this cop house thing. It's like all right, look, look, and and that's I don't know that's necessarily fair for the cop house thing. It's fair for all in because all in has set ten thousand. That's what we're doing. We're going to do that. The cop house thing never. I don't know what they ever said that we are going to sell this thing out or that we're this is going to be this big thing. They just said that's hey, we're going to run the cop house. We're going to we're going to upgrade from the, the pyramid or whatever. We're going to upgrade from Long Beach and go to the cop house. So that's kind of the next step up. So I don't know. Yeah, if it's seven thousand, if that's necessarily a failure, especially if it's you know hand over hand over fist, uh, financial success. So I don't know. It's it's going to be definitely interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't know about the math on that. I'd have to actually look or you know have somebody that actually knows more about math than me uh, to actually go and kind of run those numbers there. But I mean, he just I doubt he would throw that number out of nowhere. So well, you know, the greatest Royal Rumble, Larson and Arabian. Did you know that, Rich? Uh, Joe, sorry. Can you uh, can you repeat that? You you broke up a lot during that part. So here, if you want to just do a quick break, uh, like a quick little five second gap, and then uh, just pick it right back up after that. Then we'll jump in. Okay. Then we'll yeah, because I, I didn't hear a word you said. You said some greatest Royal Rumble, then stopped, and I, I didn't hear things. So, um, yeah, just uh, take like a five second break, and then just pick it back up for whatever the segue was. Okay. Well, I know the greatest Royal Rumble, Rich, that drew a gazillion dollar gate and every person who lives in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia attended the event. Did you know that? I heard. Yeah, I heard it was the both the greatest Royal Rumble and the kingdom of Saudi Arabia um, did host the event. And yeah, it's uh, we're, I'm, I'm very interested to see. And I'm sure our folks at uh, WrestleNomics Radio, Brandon Howard and, and, and Chris Harrington will do a great job of sort of breaking that down, especially I think you have to find out. We, we don't know exactly what, you know, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and I forget the guy's name that, that we'll, we'll find out what he paid Vince. Uh, here in, in a few months, I believe, but I know those guys will have a fun breakdown because I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated by how what that check was because I I, I assume <laughs> looking at this card and looking at sort of the extravaganza that it was an exorbitant amount of money, but I'm, I'm very curious to see what it was. But uh, it was the greatest Royal Rumble. It was pretty great, and it was a Royal Rumble. So there uh, there was not false advertising at all on the greatest Royal Rumble. What a bizarre show. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what you were watching if you thought it was great. But, no, I'm but, joking. It was definitely not great. I had, I, I don't know. Did you, I, I, how many, do you, do you talk to with a lot of like casual fan friends at all uh, these days? Or are you kind of, your, your wrestling fan friends are kind of everybody's hardcore like you? No, I got one guy who's an absolute total casual normie, whatever you want to call them, you know, um, even ask me like insane questions that like, uh, like, you know, if there's an on-screen couple, you know, he, he and they break up, he wants to know if, you know, what their home life is going to be like now. Like, he's totally <laughs> wrapped up in, yeah, so, yeah, I do. So, um, 
Did, did he say anything about the greatest Royal Rumble or no? I haven't spoken to that guy about the greatest Royal Rumble. Okay, because I got a text from one of my buddies. I believe it was on, I forget what night it was. Maybe, maybe Saturday morning or something like that. And he says, what the fuck is this Saudi Arabia shit? Like, he said he, ter- he, he got on the WWE Network. Not that he's like, he's not racist, right? But he was just so confused. He was like, what is this thing? Yeah. Why is there a Royal Rumble? Why is it in Saudi Arabia? He had, he just stumbled upon WWE Network. He doesn't listen to the show. He doesn't listen to rumors. He just opens up WWE Network occasionally, watches, and is met with, the greatest Royal Rumble and goes, oh, this is interesting, clicks it, and it's like this fucking weird non-canon show with a 50-man Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia, and he's like, what the hell is going on? And, and him and I, we texted back for like two hours, because he kept being like, wait, but but what about this? Or like, how did this happen? Or what? Yeah. It's got to be perplexing. Like, we know, because we're kind of understanding a little bit of the business of it. We understand that the big check got cash or whatever, but think about your casual fans. How would they have any clue what this is? Why is WWE running a show in Saudi Arabia having all their stars on it? It's bigger than WrestleMania, for God's sakes. There's more big matches than WrestleMania. It's just randomly thrown in at a random point in April, you know, a week before another pay-per-view, a few weeks after WrestleMania. Imagine their thoughts. This casual fan that just has no clue stumbles upon the network and is met with this Saudi Arabian greatest Royal Rumble on a, show. On a- Friday afternoon. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. Because he wakes up and he's like, wait, why was there a show? What is this show? Why was it on Friday? Why was it this? Like, it was just barrage, you know, the barrage of questions. Like, I with, need with, to know what the hell is going on here. With a bevy of sheiks just meandering around the front <laughs> row, not paying attention. That was, was that a little disconcerting to you? Yeah, they're all on their phones, just kind of swiping away, kind of walking. Some guys standing, some guys walking away, having conversations. It was, it was unique. Definitely. They, they paid a gazillion dollars for this and then didn't watch a second of it, you know, from their, from their sofas in the front row. I mean, they were just wandering around. Uh, they're all wearing a traditional Saudi Arabian garb. So they all just look like clones of each other. It was, it was very disconcerting. It was very odd. It was a bizarre show. Um, the whole thing was just fucking weird. The, the propaganda being laid out by the announcers was weird. The it just everything about this was fucking weird. That's the only word I could use to describe this thing. Uh, it was six hours long. Um, we're headed towards an era. I'm telling you, I, you know, all of these shows are just creeping up and they're longer and longer. We're going to get to the point where your backlashes are four and five hours long. I, that that day's coming, Rich. I mean, they just can't help. Oh, I think it's coming sooner rather than later. I mean, they're they're doing joint every every pay per view is again a joint pay per view again. So no, it's it's yeah. it's happening pretty soon. I mean, it don't and th- there's been few that on these networks have creeped up to three and a half and and whatnot and and like yeah, people have kind of always said, oh hey, whatever. But yeah, it, we're we're getting to the point where that's going to be the norm. And if it doesn't go three and a half, we're going to kind of look and be weird, and then it's going to be a little bit longer until it's four or four and a half, like you're saying. Yeah, we're we're, we're getting there, and I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. And this show was a lot like WrestleMania in that it got off to a decent start. It really did got off. It got off to a halfway decent start. And then, you know, the middle things kind of just fell to the end. Yeah, that decent match. And then by the and then by the end of the show, Roman Reigns is losing again. And it and it just goes off, you know, kind of you know, with not much of a punch at the end. I, I thought the fifth, let's start there, I guess the 50 man Royal rumble. I thought this was boring as fuck. Okay. I'm, d- damn it. That was, <laughs> I have in my notes. Boring as fuck is my exact thing that I said. And I'm a guy that I love. Like we talked about before many, many times. 
I will watch any Royal Rumble. I, to Royal Rumble, I, the pizza theory. Even though bad Royal Rumble is still pretty good, and I'll still yeah. consume it. I'll still watch it. This one, just nothing fucking happened. It was over, and I just went, okay, that was an hour and 17 minutes, and I'm never giving it back. Like, just nothing fucking happened. No stories, no narratives. I guess Brian lasting a while was a good narrative, but they didn't do anything with it. He was just in the ring for a He's while, just, you know? Yeah, I mean, he didn't, he didn't even do anything. There. It wasn't like Flair surviving. Like, that's the all-timer right there is, is Flair in 92 yes. being in the ring forever, but it not just, like, lingering around forever, but, like, somebody would come out and they'd be like, oh, fuck, like, Roddy Piper's gonna beat the hell out of Flair, and then somehow Flair would get out of it, and it's like, oh, okay, got out of it. Oh, shit, now it's this guy, or oh, fuck, now this guy's coming out. Like, there wasn't that with Brian. It was like, oh, yeah, Dan Brian's still in the ring. Like, that's kind of the story that, and they think that they can just kind of tell that story because they've told that before. They've told it in so much compel- in so more, more compelling ways that just having a guy in the ring for two hours is not enough. There has to be re- there has to be some sort of narrative around it, and there wasn't. It was just that Brian was in for a while, and that was really it. I mean, what were the other stories of this match? I mean, what anything else? There was the Mark Henry Braun. and the, the sumo guy, and then Braun. <laughs> that's it. Like that's all that it was in, in, it was, in two hours. It was, <laughs> it was the longest match in company history, aside from that Raw gauntlet. Um, you know, there were the, and and. It really not there wasn't much going on. I mean, and 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 let me talk about Brian a little more because he comes in at number one or number was it one or two? Oh, he was one. Yeah, I believe he was he was one. Yeah, so he's and instantly I'm thinking, well, he's winning. This is stupid. I, that's my least favorite rumble trope: is guy goes the distance and wins. Um, no one should do it again since Flair, but they've done it multiple times. Benoit, Rey Mysterio, didn't Shawn Michaels too? Didn't he go the distance? And yeah, ninety-five, he did. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like I hate that. You know, Vince McMahon too, right? I, if you want to count that one. Um, but it's like, oh my god, he's gonna win, and and it's like I cannot stand that because you know they act like it's this tremendous feat, and yet five other people have done it. It's like the number that wins the most. I mean, give me a break. Um, but, but, you know, he's in the ring this whole time. And like you said, it was the most inconsequential long rumble run. I mean, a lot of these long rumble runs is just spent with guys, you know, throwing, uh, you know, punches at people who aren't paying attention and hanging out in the corner with one leg over the top rope, you know, feigning an elimination that's never really going to happen anyway. That's what they spend their time doing. Daniel Bryan was in this match for like an hour and 15 minutes. And the only memorable thing that you'll ever remember again a week later is the chop exchange with Roderick Strong. Right. I mean, this was not a great performance. Just because a guy's in a match for an hour doesn't mean it was a great performance. What did he, what stood out? What was so great about his performance other than it took him an hour to get eliminated? There was nothing there. No excitement, no juice, no, no. Or. And now, you know, because Cass didn't come in until like number 48 or something. So I, the, the Bryant performance is so overrated in this match. I mean, he, he really was not a great performance at all. This was not a top 100 Royal Rumble performance out of Daniel Bryant. And I don't even think I'm exaggerating. If I really sat down and tried, I think I could come up with 100 more memorable and better Royal Rumble performances than Daniel Bryant going 115 minutes in this match. And it was kind of, that was really the story of the match. Aside from a couple 30-second spurts towards the end, you know, when Randy Orton was in there and then later with Braun, it's like nothing was going on in this thing, you know, except for the wacky – you take away the wacky surprises and you're really left with nothing. You take away random sumo man because what the fuck was that? Well, I think we found out later what that was, but I uh, I was kind of perplexed at the moment because when when I first watched it, I was like, who the fuck? Do you you have any clue who this guy was? No. 
Okay. Um, do, you, do you believe the reports and the stories that the uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia guy wanted Yokozuna and then nobody had the heart to tell him that Yokozuna died uh, 18 years ago, so they just booked a random other sumo guy and decided, ah, that's good enough. They won't notice. That is so far-fetched that I absolutely believe Because <laughs> why, why would you make that story up? Because yeah, how I mean, could you make that up? That is, <laughs> nobody that is, so is smart enough. Nobody is creative enough to come up with that story. Nobody in the world says, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia guy, I, I feel bad I don't know his name, but whatever. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Who cares? That, <laughs> nobody in the right mind nobody is creative enough to think that that guy thinks that yokozuna is still alive requested yokozuna to come onto his money mark show and then WWE scrambling realizing oh fuck like there's no way we're gonna get yoko there because he died 18 years ago so let's just find another sumo <laughs> guy like nobody could think of that story right and why not get like Akibono? I mean, and then it wasn't like a suit. Like you could address anybody up. You could have gotten Akibono, like you said, who who has been in the company before and done sumo stuff. There's an, any number of guys I feel like you could just. But it's just like that's Hiroki. Da, 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 da. I, what was this? What's this fucker's name? Do you even remember? It's sumo guy. The best thing about it. <laughs> I don't think it was is, sumo guy. I think he had a real name. The but. best thing. The best Hiroki thing about Sumi. it is Mike Hiroki Sumi. Right, sumo guy. So the best thing about it. Is Michael Cole acting yeah. like? Yeah. Oh my God! He Michael Cole. He's he. Michael Cole did the Michael Cole thing. He's like, as soon as he comes out, he's like, oh, that's sumo guy, and then he has like his whole bio, you know, like like he, like he's saying it's boss time. It's like the same thing. He's like, oh, there's the sumo guy, and and he and he talks about it. like like everyone else is supposed to know who he is. Totally bizarre. You have, I guess, Great Kali. This was like a late aughts reunion show with, with Hornswoggle and the Great Kali. And I get Mark Elevant year of his career in the late aughts, so you can toss him in there. Um, you know, and 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 aside from that, and some NXT surprises. Um, you got Tucker Knight, but you didn't get. How are you gonna get Otis? How do you only get Tucker Knight? How do you only have Tucker Knight and then not Otis? Not that I want to see either of them, but how does Tucker Knight get the invite and Otis doesn't? Like what? And and like, I understand Baba Tunde and Dan Matha because that was a setup for Braun to throw out two really large men. So I get why they were there, but like you're saying. Why Tucker Knight and no Otis? Like, how can you have one of those, just one of those guys? Like, that's the other guy you chose from NXT, one half of a terrible tag team, and not even, at least bring both of them. It was just so bizarre. And um, uh, so I'm doing a little bit of uh, research on uh, sumo guy, Haruki Sumi. Uh, he, so he, he participated, he's a 12 year veteran in sumo, but he retired in 2017. Um, so he competed from 2005 to 2017, and he reportedly went on a 22 bout win streak. Um, is that good? I don't even know. I don't know. How the fuck did they find this guy? Who is this guy? Like, I, I don't know. I, I did. I found his Twitter account as well, and his uh, most recent tweet, uh, May first. Uh, it's 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 at Haruki uh, underscore S H I S H O. This is a Twitter account. If you want to follow him, uh, his uh, tweet on May first is "Good morning. I am not well conditioned today." <laughs> well, it wasn't well conditioned during this show either because no. awful. And the other thing is, I don't know if you noticed, he locked his account for like three days because he must have been getting bombarded with dopey <laughs> wrestling fans just harassing this poor man who I would love to know what his payoff was. That's another thing. I would love to know how this was the guy that they ultimately chose. 
as their Yokozuna stand-in. Oh, interesting. Okay, so here, here, we're, I'm kind of digging in a little bit. Apparently, there is a, and, and this kind of reports and, and wrote the rumors that he's buddies with Shinsuke Nakamura. Because oh. there is a tweet where he says, at Shinsuke, thank you for everything. It was truly, it was the greatest joy of my life to co-star with the best superstars on the stage in the future. Thank you. So do you think that Vince said, <laughs> get that Japanese guy and see if he knows any sumo guys? And Shinsuke I think... found a friend who was this guy and said, hey, we need a sumo guy. You want to come to Saudi Arabia? And then he came to Saudi Arabia. Rich. I don't know where you would come up with something like that, but you know you're 100% right. <laughs> right. There's no question that's what Vince McMahon did. He said, get me the Japanese guys, bring them in the office, and let's see which one of them knows a sumo because, God damn it, these Arabs want Yokozuna, and I'm going to give them Yokozuna. And that's exactly how it went down. You know, when they're giving you a is that in sumo shape? Like I know it's sumo wrestling, but like if you watch like highly competitive sumo wrestling, those dudes are in great shape. They might be giant men, but they're, this dude was just a flabby fat guy that they just found. Like he was not a sumo guy. Like he just, yeah, he, you know what I mean? Like at this point he was not. So he was definitely not a, like an active sumo wrestler. That's a big so, deal anywhere. Like, no. He's so here's that. how, so here's how it went down. Like <laughs> Akira Tozawa shrugged his shoulders or maybe suggested Don Fuji. Right. And then. Oh my God. How awesome would that have been, by the way? should have been Don Fuji. Should've and been. then, and then Kenta was like. I would shrug my shoulders, but my shoulder doesn't work anymore. Right. If I shrug my shoulder, it'll separate. So I'm just not going to say anything and, and snarl and act like I don't understand you or something. So and then Nako, and then Asuka was like, "Look, man, I don't know any sumos," and she just walked out of the room. And then Nakamura was like, "I have a drinking buddy." And then that's how it came to be. This is probably just some guy that Nakamura drinks with, and uh, he ended up probably getting a five figure payday, and you know, a trip to the desert, and uh, you know, uh, a spot. Uh, the, uh, the greatest Royal Rumble of all. So I think you're absolutely right. I think Vince had a little meeting with his uh, Japanese, uh, not definitely not employees and definitely, um, you know, independent contractors. And that's how they found Sumo Guy. But, uh, you know, Michael Cole read those notes with confidence. Like he knew who this <laughs> fucker like was. <laughs> so Like a little Titan Tron too with a Roki Sumi. <laughs> yeah. He whipped one up for him. Guys, that's but, Roki uh, Sumi. <laughs> So how about let's talk about some of these other surprise guys. So we've got Tucker Knight without Otis, uh, inexplicably. Hornswoggle, he's been eating well, huh? Oh, I loved the commentary. Just decided, fuck this guy. We're just gonna bury him for being fat the entire time, which was uh was pretty great. That's Corey Graves. Like they lost all, and that was like halfway through this rumble, and I kind of enjoyed it because like usually I'm not a big fan of Cole and and and, and Graves and and uh, Byron. Like, I think it's pretty grating most times. And for like five hours, the show was grating. But somewhere like halfway between this rumble, they realized what the fuck is going on. This is stupid. We're tired. We're over this, and just started having fun. And they were just ragging on guys, like joking around, talking about how long this fucking match is going to go on for. I enjoyed that. But yeah, they had a uh, quite the expense, uh, quite the quite, quite the fun at the expense of of, of old Swaggle. Let me ask you a question. Is there another, like a 22, 23 year career who was good for like one or two of those years max, who is more beloved than Mark Henry? What is with the Mark? Why? You get some really upset people to do. I don't care because I'm right. Mark Henry was good for like a year and a half out of 23 years. What is the people? What are people's fascinations? You know, Mark Henry's entire Mark Henry's the, the entire extent of Mark Henry being good was like eighteen months and one promo. 
the retirement promo. What are what is the fascination with this man who was bad for ninety eight percent of his career? Could you could, do you have any explanation for this? I don't. Yeah, it's it's kind of perplexing, and I've I, I and I'm a guy that like I'll admit that even like the good Mark Henry, I was kind of like eh, I don't know. I see. I was <laughs> I was afraid to go all in, but fuck it. Since you did it, I wasn't. I didn't even think he was so great when he was supposedly. Well, he was fine. He was okay. He wasn't like as bad as like 1996 Mark of, Henry, but like, like, the Hall of Pain era or whatever. It was fine. It was I appreciated okay. that people enjoyed it, but it didn't, you know, for me, I was kind of like, "All right, cool." He, he squashed Rey Mysterio. That's that's cool, I guess. Like, I don't know. All right, but but I'll even give you that. I'll I'll I will I will accept that we're the outliers. Rich, it's like eighteen months, and the and the retirement promo with a salmon jacket, which was awesome. You take those two things away, ninety eight percent of this guy's career is being fucking terrible what is the fascination with mark henry i will never understand i mean he you know when he first started he was fucking awful like like beyond awful the attitude era he's been part of some of the most embarrassing moments of the attitude era which imagine the ground that covers he had he would go stretches of like years where he wouldn't even make an appearance yeah, so they had him come out in 96 right away and then pretty much put him on mothballs for like half of 96 and all of 97. Came back a little bit in 98, was really like the guy they never really tagged in or did anything with in the nation. Then he had the sexual chocolate thing. Then he had the team with D'Lo. And man, it really wasn't until like 2002 until you got something out of the guy. You know what I mean? And like even then it was still kind of not quite there. So you had 96 to 2002, which were just nothing, just absolutely nothing at all. Uh, and then really, yeah, what was it? What's what's kind of the Hall of Pain era, like the big time, like coming out Hall of Pain era? Is that like, what would you kind of define as as, as that being sort of the, well, then you have the like a year, the 18 months? What, what, what year are you kind of putting on for the... Well, like, the, and then you have the, the, the ECW title run. Yeah, which was fine. Which, and it's like, the thing about Mark Henry is like the rest of his career, post Hall of Pain or whatever, and really Hall of Pain too. Is him making mean faces? Is him mean mugging and not selling? And people just go ape shit like it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I really am fascinated by the amount of love this guy gets for mostly being terrible during the entire duration of his career. It's 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 amazing to me the praise that this man get. I mean, people, I, I I don't get it. I mean, he had a really cool theme song. Okay, um, any theme song that talks about wigs being split. I'm all about it. I got no and problem. You're with nothing it. if not the biggest three six mafia fan in the world, too. So oh, I'm a huge fan. Um, but the theme song was look, he's got a great walkout song. He, he did a the great fake retirement promo, and he had a year and a half where he wasn't fucking abysmal. I, I don't get it, Rich. But yet this guy comes on the screen and people act like, you know, a fucking all-time great is making his return. The guy is like I I jeez. I, I mean, I can name five hundred guys in the history of his company that were better. I mean, it's Mark Henry. It's Mark fucking Henry. I mean, you know, there were points in his career where he was like the worst guy on the roster. I don't know. I just don't understand the Mark Henry thing, and I thought I would bring it up. Um, but uh, but yeah, so you know, you had your late aughts, you know, novelty acts like Mark Henry and and Great Collie and Horn Swoggle make their appearance, and it was mostly a very boring rumble with you know, the first like hour of this thing was like the most lazily booked rumble. There was the only story going on in this thing was Daniel Bryan is still in the ring. Um, you know, it was uh 
I don't know. I didn't dig it. I thought at best it was a middle-of-the-road rumble leaning towards bottom half. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I was not a big fan of it. And and, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much enjoy most rumbles, but this one, it was just, it was over, and I was like, yep, that, that existed. But yeah, there was just not a whole lot there. So yeah, that that uh, definitely... Uh, yeah, there's, there's just, yeah, it's not like I was I was expecting this to be like, okay, look, there was some even, uneven stuff on the show, but at least the Rumble is going to be pretty solid, and that was just, you know, when it was over. I'll never watch this Rumble again, you know what I mean? Like, it's never, and I'm a guy that, like, when I'm bored or whatever, and I, I have no wrestling to watch, or I, I can't really focus or whatever, I'll throw on an old Rumble, because it's, it's pretty fun to kind of watch. It gives you kind of a snapshot of the era. I always enjoy those. This I will never go back and watch this Royal Rumble, ever, because there's no point in it. Why would I ever do that ever again? Yeah, I mean, usually there's some cool spots that you forgot about in a rumble or whatnot. I can't say I'll never watch it again. I want to see Sumo Guy, you know, but, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it's Rookie Sumi. Definitely, yeah, I mean, you're once in a lifetime opportunity to see Rookie Sumi live in the, in the, at the Greatest War Rumble in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, I don't star rate Battle Royals because I find it, you know, impossible. I mean, I don't even like star rating all matches, to be completely honest with you. But, like, this was a two star special, Royal Rumble. You know, that's it was just there. Um, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. We got to break this baby down. Oh, here we go. Um, now, look, I'm someone who actually liked the WrestleMania match. Um, I don't know what the fuck. Like, this was like they're teasing another Brock destruction. But Roman's ready for this guy this time, you know, and he's 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 going toe to toe with Brock and they're exchanging, you know, F5s and spears. And then uh, Roman spears him through the cage, and then mass confusion breaks out. Um, clearly, the commentators were not clued in that Brock's back, sort of touching the floor through a fence, counted as escaping. Because they were going on and on and on about your feet having to hit the floor. And then literally, as they're showing the replay, I, who were the announcers? It was Cole... It was called Byron Saxon and Corey Graves. Now, what's interesting about this is I, I watched the replay. Now, you watched live, correct? Yes. They have heavily edited it at that. Oh, they have because, because everybody's I, telling me about how the announcers are confused. The announcers are confused. The announcers are confused. I watch. There's like this weird cut, and they're like, yeah, Brock had the first. He's the winner. And I'm like, what? Rich, like, I'm going to tell you why. Because it... They show the replay. They're going on and on and on about your feet have to touch first. Yeah, I don't want you to have to go back and rewatch this, but go if you get a chance, go I'm back and rewatch to. and confirm it to me on Twitter or text or whatever that I'm not nuts that I that they did edit that because I want to hear what they did. Yeah, because I think everybody said like, oh my god, they're confused. You watch this edit. You know, I watched it. You know, four or five days after, there was no confusion. They almost got it right away. Like, oh yeah, his feet, you know, he at first. We got it. Rocks are winner. They they did like a fake confusion thing for like a second, and then they kind of confirmed it right away. So. Definitely different than kind of what you experienced live. I'm going to tell you what he said. It was they were going through the replay, and Byron Saxon, with all the confidence in the world, is saying almost verbatim, Now, guys, as you know, it's whose feet touched the floor first. And as you can very clearly see, Brock's. And then he stops because Roman's feet hit first, because Roman gives him the spear and then rolls off of Brock. And his boots touch the floor first. And then Saxton has no fucking clue what to do or say. And they all freeze. And then Cole is 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 trying to make the say like they don't know what to do because they just went on and on for five minutes about feet touching first and Roman's feet touch first. Um, I don't think Roman fucked up. I think that was the planned finish. I think Roman rolling off was fine. I just think the announcers, for whatever reason, weren't clued in that the story behind the match was that Brock got a fluke win via his back touching the floor first. 
And I just think that the announcers, there was just a rare miss because you don't see this in WWE. This was a rare gaffe in communication, I think, where the message didn't get to the announcers that the finish was going to be Brock getting a fluke win by by sort of accidentally touching the floor first via the spear. That's the feeling I got off of it. What did you think? Yeah, well, I, like I said, I, I kind of got a completely different experience because when it was all said and done, like they just kind of said, oh, well, there was like a, a little bit of confusion. And and when you go back and listen to the replay, you'll, you'll get it as well. Like there's a little brief confusion. Like, well, I, who won this match? Like all, all you hear is Byron say, well, I don't know who won this. And he's like, and then the referee immediately, almost within seconds, holds up Brock's hands and they say, oh, well, Brock's the winner because he fit, hit first and they go away. And that's it. That's all you get from this. So it's, it's definitely a different experience when you watch it on replay. Um. I'm kind of the same, you know, understanding what, what you kind of said, like my experience was just that. Yeah. Like you said, that, that, that was sort of the finish. That was obviously the finish. That's what they were going to do. And yeah, with your experience of the, the announcers, not knowing what to do, we've, we've heard some reports that that's kind of something that Vince enjoys doing with the Brock story is kind of taking people and, and not necessarily giving them the whole story and letting them sort of give their organic thoughts as it's happening. When, when Brock busts a guy open, they want to, these people to really feel what, what's going on and, and, and react to it as if that's not supposed to happen. Vince has kind of this fun thing that he does with Brock where he does those sort of things, but it leads to situations like this where your announcers look like complete fucking boobs about this and and vince in his mind totally is is like well whatever he hits first he's the winner i'm sure somebody said well vince we've always said for for fucking years and years and years it's feet hitting the floor first that's who wins and just saying well god damn it who cares like he hit first that he's the winner so i'm positive that's what happened i'm positive that was they wanted to have that fluky story and then vince said well no one knows no one remembers that it's feet hit the floor first the problem is that you have to tell your announcers who are trained robots that you can't that that we're changing the idea here because when they see a cage match, one of the the if you've ever watched a WWE cage match, the thing they drone on and on and on about is feet hitting the floor first. That, that's all they talk about time and time again. Go listen to Vince McMahon calling cage matches. Owen Hart, Bret Hart. Owen Hart has got two hands on the fucking <laughs> floor at all goddamn times of that entire match, and it keeps getting dragged in by Bret Hart, who doesn't who doesn't want him to get his feet on the floor. Owen gets one foot on the floor. Brett drags him in, and the entire time Vince says, "Well, you know, both feet have to hit the floor. Both feet." I mean, any WWE cage match, you are hit over yeah. the head with the both feet hit the floor, and the announcers know that they're supposed to hit it over yeah. the head. Vince didn't clue anybody in that he said and decided, ah, "I don't fucking care anymore." You know, ah, it's yeah. whoever hits first, whatever. And Heyman obviously was clued in because he—I don't know if, if this was obvious on, on on live, but Brock hits, and Heyman immediately starts screaming, "Brock hit first! Brock hit first! Brock's the winner! Right. He hit first. So Heyman knew obviously that that was the finish. So that's why I don't believe it was a fuck up. Because Heyman's not, no. that, you know, Heyman's not gonna. Heyman's gonna kind of look and 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 you know, he's he's not that good of an actor. He's, he's gonna at he's, least, you know, he's clued in on the finish, right? He so. knows what's going on. So it's obvious the finish was Brock hit first, and the the first the, the feet hitting the floor didn't matter at all, even though that's never been the story of a WWE cage match ever before this. So no. uh, definitely unique. And and one thing about it is, what do you think of the actual match itself? Because I kind of have a thought on this versus the WrestleMania one. So the WrestleMania one, as you said, was kind of a a Brock squash and whatnot. What do you think of this one though? Uh, before kind of I give my thoughts. I thought this totally lacked the intensity of the WrestleMania match. The problem is my opinions on the WrestleMania match are so out to lunch compared to everybody else that I don't know if they're relevant because I found the WrestleMania match to be super compelling, super intense. I, I loved the the false Roman comeback at the end and then Roman just finishing him off and Brock just finishing him off and pinning him. I love the I, – I really genuinely enjoyed the WrestleMania match a lot. I love the shock finish. So I don't know if that's really a relevant question for me. I thought the cage match compared to the WrestleMania match lacked any intensity and I, it never gripped me the way the WrestleMania match did. 
Um, and then when you had the wonky finish where no one knew what was going on, it just became comedy. For me, this greatest Royal Rumble match, the, the, one of the issues I had is, and you know, people are going to say like, ah, you like Omega and you like Okada and you like those guys and whatnot, but all this match was was them throwing their finishers at each other over and over again. There was a one point where Cole said or, or Byron said, oh my God, that's the ninth time that these guys have hit the finisher. And then like they had tallies like, well, that's five F5s and, and four Superman yeah. punches and seven spears. And I'm like, what the, what are we doing? Like, that, you know, I, I, I understand if you're going to build towards that and it's going to be a lot of kickouts, but this, that, that's all this match was. It was a little bit, and then it's only nine minutes, and these guys hit their finishers like 15 times. And and again, I know the jokes are going to be like, oh, imagine a New Japan fan complaining about that, but like, there's still 20 minutes before you know a bunch of finisher spamming and whatnot. And I fully admit there's I, finisher spamming, and it'll make an Okada match. But in think about nine it. minutes, you can't have 10 fucking finishers. They're trying to make these Brock matches look and feel different, and that's why that kind of stuff doesn't really bother me in these Brock matches. Brock's the whole thing about Brock is he goes in there and he doesn't waste any fucking time and he just wants to finish you off quickly. That's kind of been the theme of these Brock matches. This one didn't quite work for me. All of the others have. I, I so I, I I see what you're saying, but, that's yeah, but why does Roman Brock's not deal. have any other moves? It, 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 to me, it's more of a Roman Reigns yeah. thing. Yeah. If you really, most Roman Reigns matches are this. It's either him selling for ten minutes and then hitting the Superman punch and a bunch of spears. Yeah. Or this where he just starts spamming them like crazy. And like, I know, again, like this is going to be our imagine, you know, being a fan of Kenny Omega. But like, it, it I, you know, this it, it's kind of been a problem for, for Reigns for a while. And again, like, I'm not, it's not necessarily his fault. That's kind of their style. That's the house. It's the house. Baby yes. face style is sell, sell, sell on a side headlock for 15 minutes, hit your finishers and win. And that's kind of the way that they've sort of done it. So I get why he does it. He does it to perfection. He does exactly what they want that style to be. But I don't know. It, it, it lacks a little bit. And there's obviously not a huge connection to the crowd either because this was in Saudi Arabia. They, I think, assumed that this was going to be a more, uh, you know, crowd that was probably going to root for him a little bit more. I don't know that this crowd rooted for Roman Reigns more than the uh, American crowd would have. You know, I don't think there was the visceral negative reaction, but it wasn't like they were fawning. Oh, my God, it's Roman Reigns. Here we go. I can't wait to see it. There was people cheering for Brock more. I mean, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the thing about that, I don't you could take Roman Reigns to the moon. He's just not over. I, he, he's not uh, over as a baby face anywhere. I'm sorry. They're well, I, literally I talked about this with Jeff Hawkins, but like, why would say, so say you're a random Saudi Arabian fan that watches yeah. WTV occasionally? Why would you cheer Roman Reigns every time you watch TV? Everybody's booing him. Yeah. Everyone's calling him names. Everyone's, you know, <laughs> throwing things at him. WrestleMania, people are shitting on the match and throwing beach balls. Why would you think that this guy is 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 good or think that you're supposed to cheer this guy when all you've seen on TV is is that if you don't listen to the commentary and, and, and are a blind sort of loyalist to the commentary team, why would you cheer this guy? It's it's now become what you do to this guy. Right. And and yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's just now the idea is I think all of these Brock losses. The idea is let's make him so sympathetic that everyone just turns and decides to cheer for him because they feel bad for him. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I see a lot of people saying, oh, well, now it's finally over. They've finally given up on Roman. Are you people nuts? Brock won. (laughs) First of all, it's Roman. Second of all, Brock won via fluke. They're setting up another match. You know, the story here was that Roman finally got him. It's just that Brock won because he happened to be on the bottom. So no, they're not done with with Roman, and 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 it's like, you know, th- 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 that's crazy. Of course, they're not done with him. Uh, they're done with him for now, but you know, eventually he's probably going to be the one to beat Brock, and you're going to see another Roman Brock match. I, these people who think you're not seeing, I can see this getting extended out to SummerSlam. 
that was the least definitive win ever. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like, you know, you know, it's just, you know, it's and 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 the thing about Roman's match structure. Look, he's a good wrestler. He is, but he's definitely overrated because I think what you're happy you, you have is the Roman fans because he can't get over with the masses because his push is just one massive failure after another because the company keeps beating him over and over now. Roman fans overcompensate with the one thing they have that they can latch onto, which is his ring work, which is pretty good. Right. No, so, and I agree. I, 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 I shouldn't, I should preface by saying that. And, and I, I think I did that. I don't think Roman did. sucks. I'm just no. saying that the style that they kind of want him to work is not yeah. no. To me, it is is very conducive. I think he's a very good worker. But yeah, like I said, people then now a, a Monday match where all he does in seven minutes is throw a bunch of Superman punches will be considered one of the great. Oh my god, what a great performance! When like no, he's had good performances. This was not yeah. one of them. I mean, you can and you can admit that, but people they, they there's a lot of people that just won't because you got to be full defense squad. I apologize if you hear a loud rain on my end. I don't know what to do. It's raining like crazy over here so that's, I I don't, can you hear that i'm trying not, on my best but yeah. the, the rain is not coming through don't okay, worry good it's very loud but, so. but yeah i i do think that the roman fans do they, they without question exaggerate they overcompensate with exaggerates a bad word there's definitely some overcompensation when it comes to roman's bell to bell because it's the one thing that that, that you can really latch on to which is, uh, you know, that he does do well, but people go overboard with it. He is overrated. He's not one of the best wrestlers in the world. That's insane. He's not, uh, you know, a top 10 guy in the world. He's not, but people will tell you that he is after a three-star raw match, you know, what another phenomenal Roman Reigns performance. Oh my God. It's like, you can pump the brakes. It's a little three-star match with the Miz. Calm down. You know, but you know, it, it's there's some overcompensation at play. So I do agree with you there. His matches are 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 a little overrated, you know. And but he, but but at the same time, you could be overrated and still be very good. It's 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 he is very good, but not nearly to the level that people say. All right, anything else in this greatest Royal Rumble you want to talk about? There was there was plenty. I don't even know how we begin to talk. We cannot possibly break down every single match of this. We we have no no to, no. We won't do that. Yeah. But I, look, there are a couple matches that I do want to focus on. Um, number one, I thought the Cena Triple H opener was very good because they were very smart about it. Both guys were super over. Everything they did was just lighting up the crowd. So it reminded me of those Evolve shows in China where you didn't have to do much to get a great reaction. So they didn't. Um, you know, they, they just did the greatest hits and they, they did trade finishers towards the end of the match. It did take four AAs to put away the King of Kings. <laughs> well, of course. of course. I mean, come on. Yeah. But I thought that was a very enjoyable match. I liked that match a lot. Cedric Alexander, Callisto. I thought they worked a very smart match with Cedric Alexander working over the back to set up the lumbar check. And then he reverses the Selena del Sol at the end and hits the lumbar check. And there's no kick out from Callisto because his back had been worked over the whole time. Like I said, I really thought the show got off to a really good start. Then we hit a fucking pothole. <laughs> Joe, before we go, I want to I want to play a, a quick little game with you. Okay. Okay. Uh, I want you to tell me the long uh, who was in the longest match of 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 these shows. Okay. This random selection of shows I'm going to give you. Okay. This is bizarre in the middle of this. Yeah, but it's, it's breakdown. But all right, okay. okay. So right. this is the longest matches. Uh, these are the last eight WrestleManias. So it's not a random collection of matches. As the last eight WrestleManias. Okay, WrestleMania 27. Can do? You, can you recall the longest match of WrestleMania 27? Uh, I'm sure you know it like the back of your hand, but just I, the, I couldn't tell you one match from WrestleMania. Okay, uh, the longest match of WrestleMania 27 was Undertaker versus Triple H. Okay, uh, WrestleMania 28. Can okay. you tell me the longest match? 
you might as well just give them to me. I'm just going to give them to you because you're not going to I don't know them. the card. I don't know right. the I don't know the card. Uh, Undertaker versus Triple H. WrestleMania <laughs> okay. 29. Brock Lesnar versus Triple H. WrestleMania 30. Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. WrestleMania 31. Sting versus Triple H. WrestleMania 32. Undertaker, Shane McMahon. WrestleMania 33. Seth Rollins versus Triple H. WrestleMania 34. Angle and Ronda Rousey versus Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Joe, can you tell me the longest match on <laughs> the Greatest Royal Rumble that was not the Royal Rumble? I'm going to... Take a stab in the dark here. Okay, try. Yeah. It was John Cena versus Triple H. It really is amazing. You are the winner at 1545, the longest match in the greatest Royal Rumble, John Cena versus Triple H. Yeah. I mean, the guy's something else. And the thing about those Mania matches, a lot of them weren't any good. No, they fucking sucked. Some of them were good, but a lot of them, you know, are vastly overrated or or weren't very good. Um, But this was, and, and, and you kind of tweeted out as well. Man, if I'm running this company or I'm partially running this company, I do exactly what he did. I come out second. I get fucking pyro. The crowd's hot. They know who Cena is. The crowd loved everything they did because the crowd almost, like you, you're going to get to it in a little bit. The crowd died for like three hours of the show yeah. in the meat of it. But they were hyped up for this opening match. So, hey, I do the same thing too. I would do the match where I can do a fucking hip toss and the crowd's going to pop like crazy. I want 78,000 people cheering because I flexed my muscles or whatever. Because they weren't doing that later in the show. They weren't doing that later in that match, to be honest. But Triple H got in there real quickly and it was it was an awesome, you know, it, it, perfect politicking there to put yourself first in that. Because it was, yeah. and you know what? Honestly, like if you talk about it, we're, we're kind of joking aside. This is probably the best opener you could possibly have. The crowd knew who both these guys were. Yeah. The crowd was aware of John Cena, aware of Triple H, knew the the gravity of both men, knew, understood that. And these were two guys that are smart workers too that can sort of work that crowd as well. So like, I'm glad they did this because you know if if the Bludgeon Brothers and the Usos was the first match, like you know I you might take this crowd out of it immediately. But I thought that was a smart idea. So all joking aside, I think that was the right match to be the opener. But still, kind of fun that you know, old old Paul found his way in the uh, in the top again. But. Yeah. Came out while the crowd was fresh to get that fresh crowd pop, you know? <laughs> He's um, a worker, man. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the this show really cratered. Uh, the Bray Wyatt-Matt Hardy versus Bar match was a bad match. It just wasn't good. Uh, very simple. Uh, the most basic of tag team layouts, uh, you know, where they're, 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 it's a southern tag structure set up for one hot tag to Bray Wyatt. The problem was the Bar's beatdown of Matt Hardy was just it's so boring. Uh, the Bar needs to break up. And I tweeted that out on Twitter and, and it was somewhat controversial, but this is a company with a million different tag teams. They've won the titles like four or five times. And quite honestly, all of their matches underwhelm. They've had good matches, but I expect Cesaro and Sheamus to have great matches and they haven't had a ton of great matches. So from an entertainment standpoint, from a smarky standpoint, I don't think they've lived up to their potential as a tag team. And from a kayfabe standpoint, what is there left for this team to do? Okay. It was a long time ago now that they had their seven match series and then formed their uneasy alliance. It's been years that they've been a tag team now. Uh, and, and I think it's time for them to break up. They're just not interesting anymore as a tag team. Um, what do you think about that? Quickly. Yeah, I've been kind of older for a while too. Jesus, this rain is <laughs> it's nuts. Try that. See how that works. All right. Um, yeah, Trust no. me, Rich. No one can hear the rain. Okay, I, I can hear. I can't even talk because it's so loud. So that's why I'm curious if you can hear it. But I'm glad you can't. All right. Um, no, I'm I'm right with you too, and I've kind of had the same thoughts too. And it, I, I feel like in, in largely it's kind of a waste of both guys. It's a waste of Cesaro. It's a waste of, of Sheamus. And yeah, the, the, it's been a good little run. It's given them something to do, but it's just when I see those guys on a match 
and I see a card and we break down one of these previews, I see Cesaro and Sheamus, I'm just like, eh, all right. You know, yeah, there's just yeah. no, I never want to see them wrestle as a team ever again. And it's just like, I've seen it so many times over the last two years or whatever, or how long they've been a team. And there's just nothing there. And it's one of these things that you just hope that these guys aren't just caught in a cycle where it's just understood that these guys are a tag team and they're just a tag team forever because both guys are capable of so much more, particularly in Cesaro. And, but I mean, we're, we're, well, here's the we're, thing. we're swimming upstream with that because that's never going to fucking happen. That's never, but the counter argument I'm getting is, well, there's a ceiling on these guys as singles wrestlers, and they're only going to be mid-carters. Well, they're mid-carters now. What's the difference? And this has run its course, and it's stale. So, uh, you know, I'd rather see these guys both go back singles. I, it's just, I don't know. They're just not doing anything for me. Uh, Jeff Hardy defeats Jinder Mahal. This was a fucking shit show. Rich, <laughs> is it even – let me ask you an honest like, – like Oh, honest, Jinder. I know it's really easy to do this, but is it even fun – picking no. on Jinder Mahal anymore. He's so bad. Like he is like epic. Like who's worse than him on this roster, male or female? Honestly, can you like, Oh man. Um, he, Jeff Hardy, maybe Dana Brooke, maybe Dana Brooke, maybe Dana Brooke. Jeff Hardy missed him by three feet. <laughs> and he not only sold it by taking a bump, but he did it like four seconds later. It was like a delayed reaction bump. It just looked like shit. It was a bad bump too. <laughs> it was a it was a video game glitch bump, is what it was. It was so bad. Um, where there's it, like it reminded me of, and you've seen the thing too. I forget what the match was, but it's in TNA where one of the referees, I believe it's Brian Hebner, has yes. to get kicked by Bully Ray. Like Bully Ray's setting somebody up for like a, a, a power bomb, and the wrestlers be kicked, but like he doesn't get kicked at first, and he kind of waits, 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 and like five seconds later he realizes, oh shit, I was supposed to be kicked, so he kind of like stumbles back. It falls down. If you never looked it up, I don't even know how to look it up, but uh, it's an incredible, incredible gift. And that's basically what the gender thing was. Gender is so bad. Think of the lowest level indie in whatever town you live in. He wouldn't be the best worker on any of those shows. He's just not good. He's awkward. He doesn't move well. I just, it's, it's boring beating up. Let's move on. It's just, there's, there's nothing. He's just horrendous. He, he's truly horrendous at a time where everyone else on the roster is pretty fucking good. You know, it's like the roster's never been better. And, and you know, aside from maybe like your Curtis Axels, like everyone's pretty good. And this guy's flat out bad. He's just bad. He's a bad pro wrestler. Uh, Bludgeon Brothers defeat the Usos. This was basically another squash. I didn't mind because they're really establishing the Bludgeon Brothers as a dominant force. And I have no problem with that. Um, the ladder match was okay. The four-way ladder match was okay. Look, it wasn't great. Uh, but it was one of the better matches on the show with Seth Rollins scaling up the ladder and stealing the win away from Finn Balor, who, uh, by the way, had to bust out his Prince Devitt gear for this show because uh, couldn't rock the uh, the rainbow colors in, <laughs> yeah, in the, the kingdom uh, of Saudi Arabia. Everybody. So, uh, yeah, the, uh, the everybody movement, uh, not, uh, not, not on this night, unfortunately, but... Uh... Was this, was this around? When did they show the video package as well? The much maligned video package that's uh, gotten oh, a lot Carmella of Carmella showed up and everybody yeah. went ape shit. And somewhere Drew from Beyond just curled his mustache and said, "See, I told you. This is what this this is what I was trying to tell you guys." Yeah, I mean, just crazy shit. Like um, they're just so deprived of like seeing female skin that they just went insane over Carmella wearing like a 1930s one piece fucking bathing suit. It's just it, which is essentially what she wears. It's just fucking nuts. Um, but yeah, so then we had um, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura with the double countout. Rich, I love this match. This had intensity that the WrestleMania match did not have. 
I had no problem with the finish because the feud is going to continue. And I thought the 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 post-match stuff was excellent. What did you think of this? Yeah, basically reaffirmed what you talked about last week is that what should have happened is the match that was at WrestleMania should have been a SmackDown match a few weeks prior. Yes. And then WrestleMania should have now now Shinsuke is a heel. AJ's a face. Shinsuke's doing this nut shot stuff, and that's the match at WrestleMania, an intense match where where Styles is 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 pissed off that Shinsuke Nakamura hit him in the fucking nuts and wants to kick his ass now, and that's like a fun. But instead of WrestleMania, we got this plotting nothing match that built to an angle, and now pretty much every interaction that these guys have had since that WrestleMania match has been fucking awesome on SmackDown. I love it. Like Shinsuke Nakamura nut puncher is like the greatest thing in the world. It's awesome. It's so fun, and this is another great match where there was an intensity there, and Styles went out of his way to make sure that Nick Nakamura didn't fucking punch him in the nuts and it's been kind of fun to, to see the story but yeah pretty much everything since wrestlemania has been great which only reaffirms your idea that that wrestlemania match should have happened prior and then we could have been building up that could have been the build towards wrestlemania and then wrestlemania probably would have been a spectacular match instead we got an angle as a ma- instead of a you know a dream match at, at wrestlemania yeah the wrestlemania match was a tv match um in every way including the angle and then uh, undertaker who was also requested by the uh by the people who purchased the show along with yokozuna um, defeated Rusev in a casket match. Rusev, as usual, was incredible. Uh, doing the old Kamala routine of being deathly afraid of the casket, no pun intended. Um, you know, and this was actually a this was the best Undertaker match in years, right? I mean, the Cena match was a nothing. I guess I, I thought it kind of sucked, but I mean, it's well, well let's look at as this. Good as you're gonna get, yeah, I guess. But but when you yeah, when you're looking at the history of or the recent history of Taker matches, it's not really brimming with a with a ton. But yeah, this was like the best Undertaker match since like 2015. I don't even think that's wrong. I mean, the Roman Reigns match was fucking a dud, uh, negative star territory. The Cena match was a 90 second match. You got to go back to like 2015. To find an Undertaker match as good as this, like two and three quarter star match he had at Rusev. I thought it was a little better than that. I think I went three. I really, I thought it was fun. I thought I thought Undertaker looked all right. Uh, he looked better than he's looked in a long time. Um, so yeah, that was your greatest Royal Rumble. Um, I so what's the deal? They're doing like ten more of these. Is that the the, the financial year contract? I guess yeah. Like the guys at WrestleNomics, like I said, if you really want, they dug through that contract as much as they could find. Uh, so the most recent episode of WrestleNomics is definitely gonna be worth your time if you if you're kind of curious. It's on this uh this podcast network as well, WrestleNomics Radio. Uh, they dug it in a little bit, but yeah, it's a ten year contract. I forget what the caveats are. I thought it was a couple shows a year or something like that, but uh, ooh, <laughs> that's a lot to ask. Uh, so we're getting guys a couple and- of I I guess I don't know, man. It's so weird. I don't know if now the 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 Davari and the Carmella stuff might be an issue. We didn't even mention the Davari thing. Did you want to mention that where the Davaris came out and did like a pro Iran anti Saudi Arabia angle, and and Davari had to apologize? And it, it's been, there's God, this has been an exhausting. Like Corey Graves is subtweeting the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's like what is going on? Like, what a yeah, weird show. What the fuck? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like. Part of the reason I think Trips, we talked about all the reasons that Trips went on first. Maybe one of them was to get the fuck out of there before something bad happened. You know, I mean, because, you know, the Carmella thing, the he knew the Iran angle was coming up, which, by the way, I mean, that's just good old fashioned cheap heat. You know, it's like if you're paying for an American wrestling show, you're getting it with all of the American wrestling show fixings, you know, minus the boobs. But, you know, you, you, you're getting what they that's what WWE does. They do cheap nationalistic heat. So I don't know why people were, you know, aghast at that. I mean, that's what they fucking do, you know? So I don't know. But yeah, it's, it, you're treading on dangerous territory. The whole thing just had a, 
an uneasy feel about it. I don't know. It just didn't feel right to me. And, and I feel like the direction they really went out of their way to show every woman that was in that crowd. Did you feel like that? Or am I the only one that, I uh, mean, no, they definitely did. And they, and they had that, um, there was a weird intermission promo that I, I think you saw. I don't know if that was on the only the pre-tape or the live show too, where they went to an intermission and had that promo where it was all about you know the woman, one of the women who worked at the uh, at the sports you know in entertainment you know district or whatever, talking about how great it is that you know women can go to the show and it's a great moment to see WWE. But yeah, you're right. It was definitely uh, they were making it obvious that hey, look, there's a woman. Hey, there's another one. Hey, look, there's all these women. Hey, yeah, great. So no, it was definitely an intended thing that they were going to show the women quite a lot. Yeah. All right. So I think we'll uh, we'll preview backlash here, and then I think we're going to do a little overrun yes. because we've yeah, got some uh, other show to get to, and I don't think we can cram it all in. So uh, let's preview backlash, and then we'll do the All Japan Champion Carnival, and maybe a little bit of impact uh, for the subscribers over on the uh, overrun. So backlash, Rich. Uh, we've got ourselves a what is this an eight match show eight at this point yeah I don't know if there's anything going to be added but as of the, this recording and this has been post Smackdown we have eight matches so far yeah so mixed pay-per-view they're all going to be mixed from now on and uh, you know it's uh, there was a lot of fear that there would be a lot of multi-man tags and things like that to cram people onto shows I never really bought into that no nah. like and this is like all singles matches on this show so this is off to a good start here this is actually a lot of title matches. Uh, so let's go through it. Um, we haven't done one to 10 in a million years. Do we, can we even muster the enthusiasm to do one? Let's oh, do sure. one to 10. I'll do we it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's okay. fucking do it. Let's go. AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. We just talked about, we enjoyed the greatest Royal Rumble match uh, that these two had. And I'm into this feud now, thanks to the intensity of the match they had at greatest Royal Rumble. But... I do think that the Nakamura nutshots have now become, they have been a victim of the subtlety hammer, Rich. It's all about the nutshots with Nakamura now. And I think that's going to sort of sap a lot of my enthusiasm about this feud and with Nakamura, heel Nakamura moving forward. Um, he used the nutshot against Daniel Bryan in the dark match. All of his matches are built around the nutshot now. And this no DQ match here. You know, eventually AJ Styles is going to wear some sort of protection on his dick. We know that that's coming. We could see it a mile away. Um, So, you know, where after Greatest Royal Rumble, I would have thrown like an eight or a nine on this thing. My expectations are now tempered because of the company that we're dealing with and how they just can't leave well enough alone. Uh, The Nakamura nutshot thing is is getting out of hand. So I'm going to knock this down to about a six or a seven. So I'll go six and a half on AJ Styles Nakamura in the enthusiasm meter. Okay, I'm going to go a little higher because I, I, I'm I not quite at that point yet with the nutshot thing. I kind of enjoy it a little bit, but it is, you know, talk to me in, in, in three weeks. I'm going to be so done with it because the salty hammer's here. I'm enjoying it now, so let me enjoy it for a few more weeks. But I fully, yeah, by this time, at the end of May, let's have this conversation again, and I'll be right with you groaning about how they've just completely overdone the nutshot thing. There'll be a t-shirt about it. It'll be... T- so overdone and so rot that it'll just we'll never want to see it again. But for right now, I'm still enthused of it, so I'm gonna go with an eight for this match. I'm it's still... like Titus O'Neil falling and slipping under the ring. Oh my they god, that's help. I'm already yeah. at it. That's already done with me. That that yeah. I'm already done with for sure. That's they that's can't already just... gone. <laughs> yeah. I, we forgot to bring that up, but I mean, you can't just have a candid moment in this company. It, it, you, they have to fucking hammer it to death to where you're totally fucking sick of it. You can't just. 
have an organic moment and 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 just leave it at that. They they just cannot fucking help themselves. Uh, Seth Rollins defends the Intercontinental title against the Miz. I've about had it with this whole uh, issue between these two. Uh, I suppose the match will be um, good enough. I'm going to go five, a solid five on this match. See, I'm going to go with a four because you know what? I just saw Seth Rollins have what I'm guaranteeing will be a better match than this match on Raw on free TV already. You know, two days ago. So why I to me, it's one of those weird things where like, yeah, this match might be fine. But like, I already saw a really great match. I saw like almost as good as you could possibly have with a Seth Rollins match defending this title against the guy I, I'm more interested in in Finn Balor two days ago on TV. So it, it's one of those weird things where in a vacuum, yeah, Seth Rollins and Miz, eh, whatever. It'd probably be about a, a five or maybe a six or whatever. But I just saw a great Seth Rollins match. And now I'm be kind of disappointed because I don't think that this one's going to be as good as that one. Does that make any sense? It does. Uh, it does. Um, I hear you. So you're going for Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton for the United States title. This will sure, you know, I could almost guarantee this will be better than a Jeff Hardy, Jinder Mahal shit fest. Oh, come on. Of course it will. Yes. Of course um, it will. Look, you know, I flip flop on Randy Orton. I'm never totally all in on the guy, but I thought he had a good performance in the greatest Royal Rumble. I thought he was one of the standouts in that match, to be honest with you. Um, I could see this being pretty good. I, I can't say I'm less excited about this than I am about Rollins and Miz. It feels fresh. So I'm going to go six on this. Here's how fresh it is, Joe. Try to guess a year the last time these guys had a singles match on pay-per-view. Or t- TV or pay-per-view. TV or pay-per-view. Last time, last year that these guys had a, a singles Ten match. Ten years ago. Almost on the dot. Uh, Royal Rumble 2008. Randy Orton defeats Jeff Hardy. Yeah. Royal Rumble 2008. Jesus. So that's good. Yeah. When you say fresh, I mean, this is as fresh of a matchup as you'll see in this company. I mean, these guys have just simply not faced each other for 10 years. So, yeah, uh, definitely there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, what you you picked it? You said an eight? No, no, no. Oh, I said, I think I said six. Oh, okay. I thought I heard you say eight. I said six. God, an eight for Randy Orton match. Joe, what has gone into you? No, no, no. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'll do six as well. I'm about there too. Cause I think it'll be, it'll be pretty solid. Hardy's, you know, got a baseline that's pretty good. And and Orton seems randomly motivated. Orton goes through these ebbs and flows of motivation. So I don't know what the fuck. He's on a run right now. So maybe he'll be good for another month or so. I, you, who knows? But he seems like even on SmackDown, he's been like real fired up and stuff. So I don't know what the hell's going on to him. I don't know if he's got some new pills that he's on or something. I don't know what the fuck it is, but he's enthused. So let's ride ride the wave as long as it goes. So. I don't hate the idea of it. We've got Nia Jax defending against Alexa Bliss. I think Nia Jax is boring as fuck. Um, I have no interest in Nia Jax. I think the right finish at WrestleMania was her vanquishing the bully and winning the title. But I think that story has run its course, and I don't know why they're really continuing with it. If it were up to me, Alexa Bliss would win. I took part, by the way, in the team preview of this show, a rare Joe Lanza writing appearance. I also reviewed the Greatest Royal Rumble, if you want to go read my expanded thoughts on that. But I also previewed this show for the site, which I, that'll probably be up by the time people hear this. Oh, right? it's, up, it's up already, so yeah, you should. Uh... So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought Bliss losing at Mania was the right finish, but I think Bliss should win the title back because she's more interesting than Nia Jax. Nia Jax bores me. Yeah, the thing with um, yeah, the thing with Nia Jax is just, just I don't think she's that good. And like, it, it, one of the things is when you when you look at that roster and you look at how many other women are on that roster and how many are are, are pretty damn good and can have great matches and stuff, it just kind of seems like a waste to have Nia Jax have the title. And, and like you said, hundred percent with you. The the only finish at WrestleMania was Nia Jax beating Alexa Bliss. But we've done that. It's moved. To, I'm fine if Alexa beats her again and wins the title back on this show. Like, yeah, I think I'm fine with that. Would you? I I, I wouldn't care at all. 
because it's like cool and i won that story but i want alexa to then move on i i think it's so much more interesting if alexa has the title and alexa's battling your baileys your your banks you, you know your oscar like i want those sort of interactions i want interactions with with her and the best stars of the regardless of brand or whatever because these co-branded pay-per-views maybe you can have some some blends or whatnot i'm so much more into that than this story and, and this story's done you know what i mean like it, it, it's kind of because it's one of these weird situations that they kind of book themselves into a corner with this because if alexa loses again like what the hell's next for alexa right. you know they'll just put her back in the because that's what they do but in from from a real true like storyline standpoint this would be the end of alexa alexa has nowhere to go naya's beat her twice it's over that'd be kind of the story you tell but then you don't necessarily want naya to, to, to vanquish the bully but then just lose a month later but that's kind of you know what they so they've kind of put themselves in a Lulu situation, which is you know not unlike WWE booking to do that. But uh, I think the the, the long term win situation is just get it back on Alexa and 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 make that division something more and, and something really plentiful because you're not getting that with Nia Jax. Her matches aren't that good. Her persona's not that great. It's just kind of you know it was a great story at WrestleMania, but uh, you know this isn't WrestleMania anymore. So Carmella, Charlotte Flair, I. <sighs> I guess I, I a one. I really don't give a fuck about anything Carmella ever does. Can't I just don't care. I have no interest in Carmella. Yeah, I've kind of gotten that way with Charlotte too. I don't know. Are are you? Do you have that same thought? I don't know if it's like she's not bad. Like she's still fine, but I just am not interested in anything that she does at all. Yeah, no interest in this match at all. I I just it's it's a solid one for me. I just don't care. Yeah, so I'm I'm right with you too. I'll, I'll probably I'll probably one and a half just to be contrarian. But no, I mean there's there's nothing there for me. Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe in a battle of people who lost at Greatest Royal Rumble. Um, I love the build for this. Samoa <laughs> Joe tells Roman Reigns, you suck. You're going to lose to Brock Lesnar. And uh, it just turns out he was right. Like the heel was right. Like interesting build. But uh, I don't know. I- I'm interested in this because I think it could be good. They've had good matches before. I love their match on the first Raw of the year. I thought that was like a four-star match uh, back in January. So I'm going to go six on this. Yeah, I'm gonna go to about a. I'm gonna go to about a five, just because I'm a little. I'm, I'm down on Roman Reigns' recent <laughs> matches that we kind of alluded to, but it's still Samoa Joe, uh, and, and and he can deliver. So I feel like I'm gonna eat those that, that five uh, in a few days. Like I feel like it's gonna be probably better than that, but I'm still kind of you know I'm apprehensive to it. And and the problem too is like the build, like you said, just the build kind of sucks. It's, Samoa Joe comes out and says, "Hey, you're a loser and you lose a lot," and Roman Reigns goes, "No, I don't." And then loses, and that's just it. Like that's it's just like that's the build is is Samoa Joe saying, "Hey, you suck, and you lose," and Roman Reigns being like, "Yeah, I'll show you." And then losing, and then they just have a match. Yeah, I don't, and Samoa Joe didn't win either. Samoa Joe had a match at, at greatest and lost. So it's like all these guys just lose a lot. Like, why do I care to see these guys fight? But I whatever. It's kind of a story. Joe, something happened on Raw that 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 got me quite upset. It's one of these things again. Like I should like the red shoes thing. I should just let it go and I shouldn't care. But I can't not care. Main event of, of, of Raw, Roman Reigns is saved by Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. Roman kind of looks at Braun, gives him like a wink, a kind of a nod, like a, yeah, thank you, man. Like, appreciate it. Like, bud, one of those winks. And I was like, dude, three months ago, this guy ran you over with a car. <laughs> Trying to yeah. kill you numerous yeah. times. Yeah. You both tried to murder each other. Like, yeah. recently, well, very recently, you've just tried to murder each other, kill each other you said, recently. You said- you said the key. You said three months ago. It's like anything older than one pay-per-view cycle, you're not supposed to. You know that. It's goldfish <laughs> booking. This company is booked for goldfish. 
you're not supposed to remember attempted anything. Attempted murder. Recent attempted murder. Which is why these people who take this company, I'm shaking at this raw. Like, you're, you're, it's, they, they treat you like you're a gold. What are you excited about? What are you excited about with this company? You know, next month, they're going to shit all over you for giving a fuck about any of this crap that you're all passionate about right now. It, it's just amazing. It, there you go. All the, these guys, me. and it probably shouldn't. And I'm not like a Jim Cornette like guy, but at least have some explanation. Like we talked about one yes. of the one of the famous stories of that that didn't make a lot of sense, but in the end, kind of just made sense was the the, the Goto joining Chaos thing. Okada just said, "You suck. You you should just join Chaos. You suck. You should just join Chaos. I'm gonna beat you. You suck. Just join Chaos." And eventually, Goto just joins Chaos, and people ask him, and he's just like, "Ah, well, I suck." And that's fine if that's if Roman Reigns just wants to say, "Yeah, you know," and and I guess maybe they're gonna have time to tell the story. I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're Hold ever going to Hold on a second, story, Rich. But... Hold on a second. Okada never tried to murder Goto. Right. And that's the caveat that, because I mentioned this in like a conversation with, I think, in our Slack chat. And that's what John Carroll said. He says, yes, I get what you're saying, but Okada never tried to run over Goto with a car like a few months ago and like tip over a semi truck over him or like crush his bones. And that was Kane, I think, that did that. But like there was an attempted murder in the in that case. It was just sort of like, yeah, I, I feel like after three months, if you try to kill me, I'm not just going to kind of give you the, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for saving me a little bit there, bud. Roman would never be friends with this man. He tried <laughs> to literally kill him. Rich, there's people who have said mean things to me on Twitter who I refuse to talk to. This guy tried to kill him, and he's like, he's his pal now. Are you are you kidding me? So you're absolutely right. It's like you can you just you cannot sink your teeth into the stories this company tells. You just can't. You're you're dead on. Daniel even in the Bryan. attitude era, even in the attitude era, they would try to maybe give you a story. Like in the in the late Russo eras, he eventually just gave up and decided, ah, fuck it, nobody cares. But in the early, they at least tried to do like the you know, guy that almost murdered because there, there was a lot of attempted murders, of course, in the attitude era. And a lot of times, it would there would be something that would kind of be like, "Well, we, I forgave him," or "Ah, oh, whatever." But this was just like, "Ah, eh, whatever, dude. Who cares?" Three months ago, water under the bridge. We're good. <sighs> Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass as Daniel dream Bryan, match, baby. As Daniel Bryan continues his march through dream <laughs> match after dream match that we were his promised bowl, his bowl ass run. <laughs> now that's a rant for another day. Yes. And it's a little too early to make that rant, but believe me, you're going to want to tune in to that flagship uh, when when Daniel Bryan has four more feuds like this in a row. Yeah, that'll uh, be a back patty one, so get ready for that when, one. That's going to be a I, lot of back patty. You want to skip that one. That is going to be the victory lap of all victory laps when 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 we go through that rant. But let's deal with, with what we have at hand here, and that's Big Cass versus Daniel Bryan. Um, look. I guess I have some sort of curiosity here. Daniel Bryan can get some kind of great match out of this guy. So from that perspective, and it is a Daniel Bryan singles match. So I'm going to go six. <sighs> Joe, I want to go six. It's Daniel Bryan. Why do I see a stretcher in my future? Why do I see a big cast, big boot? Why? Because it's a Daniel, Daniel Bryan, Bryan holding his head. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. I, I'm, can, I, can I answer that for you? Because that's happening, right? Like, Cass going to hit a big boot and Brian's going to hold his head, right? Can I answer that for you? Yeah, you can. You see a stretcher in your future because it's a Daniel Bryan match. And Rich, did you know he's an underdog? I've heard he's a scrappy underdog. He's a goat. He's a flying goat underdog, yes. Did, did you know that he's small? Did you know that he's taking on a larger man? Did you know that that's the story of every fucking Daniel Bryan match since he came into this company? That he's a small man who's an underdog? I mean, th- th- that's what they do. So would it shock me if he ends up on a stretcher? No. 
Okay. I hope. I really hope it's not. I hope that they just have a good match and they let you know cast you know work because uh, it could be. I think it could be a great one. And Dan O'Brien thrives in those sort of environments of working against a guy like we talked about Hideki Suzuki earlier, a guy who who if it's an opponent that he thinks less of, he just says fuck it, I'm not going to try. Where Dan O'Brien's the opposite. He goes, yeah. I want to make a great match out of this guy, and that happened a number of times in Ring of Honor where he'd be against. I, I, I seem to remember there was like a Tank Toland or maybe I, I forget who it was. There was some shit like some guy who absolutely sucked, and Brian did everything he could to make that guy look like a million bucks. And Bray make Wyatt. the match matter. And this is what it's going to be. The Bray Wyatt match is a perfect example. Those were the best Bray Wyatt matches still to this day were the ones with Daniel Bryan. I mean, the, the, arguably the best Roman Reigns, my favorite Roman Reigns match yeah. was against Daniel Bryan as well. The one fast lane, I think, two or three years ago or whatever sure. that was. Uh, my favorite Roman Reigns match ever. But yeah, so this is an opportunity for Bryan, if, 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 if left to his devices, to have a great match, a star-making performance for Cass, really make the most out of him. I just, I got to be a four because I just have stretch. I have visions of stretcher dancing through my head. I just I yeah. I can't the way that they sort of they've booked Daniel Bryan pretty much from the moment he won the title, you know, all those years ago at WrestleMania 30. I, I just I, I I can't believe that they're gonna do anything but that story with him because that's all they've done with him. So this is why I still argue that I want him to leave. This is the company that does the least interesting things with it. This is the company that will do the least interesting things with Daniel Bryan of any company on earth. It's always the same shit with him, but hold your breath for those string of dream matches that we're surely going to get with uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Almas and Roderick Strong and Cassius Ono and and Johnny Gargano and yeah yeah keep holding your breath for that because you're not you know you whatever you get in terms of great feuds or great matches matchups or dream matches with Daniel Bryan will purely be by accident. It's not what this company does. Right. And you can and and if Kane hadn't won his election, his next feud would be with Kane. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. No, it's I mean, true. it's not what they do. But, you know, hold your breath for all those dream matches. You yeah, know, but I, I mean, know, like, yeah. like again, if left to his devices, I have no doubt that Brian has a great match with Cass. I just, I don't know that he'll be left to his devices. So that's, that's, that's the issue there. And very quickly, Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley versus uh, Steen Errico. In tag team action, Bobby Lashley coming off a greatest Royal Rumble where he nearly killed about four or five different people. Uh, he has looked horrendous since his return. Uh, Braun Strowman, of course, is not eating a pin here. So I don't know if, if they're going to give up on Bobby Lashley for, you know, nearly uh, uh, incapacitating half the roster in the greatest Royal Rumble with all of his botches. You would think that he was taking a fall here. Um, you know, Sami Zayn's losing this match. Are you fucking kidding? I look. I'm trying to come up with other po- potential. Sami Zayn is still getting pinned. I'm, but I'm curious to see if they give up on Bobby Lashley or not. Because um, I don't think you can trust them at the top of a card. Yeah, it would just, be a rapid. I mean, they gave up on him about a year and a half into his previous run. This would be a fun one here. If like in three. Yeah, but now, <laughs> but now there's the added element of not only like that was just because he was didn't get over. Did, right now, now he, he's like dangerous and bad. Yeah. So I don't know, but my anticipation levels for this, I don't know, something like a five. I don't care too much about this. I mean, they've sapped all of my personal interest out of Braun. I don't really care about Braun anymore. I don't care about him being a monster. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I'm just firmly in the middle on this. Yeah, I'm kind of in the middle as well. I, I, the Owen Zane characters I love, but I, they're they're comedy fodder, really. And, and that's like I get that, and they're great at it, and they're they're excelling at it because again, cream rises. Those guys are always going to make whatever they like. Rusev, yeah. you can put Rusev in fucking anything, and he's going to make it the best. You sell, you tell him to be Kamala in 1992, and he fucking nails it. He does it perfectly. Owens and Zane are perfect too. The idea that Sami Zayn would be this this most hated heel in the fucking business, the biggest chicken shit ever. I would never have thought that he would do it, but he's awesome at it. Owens is awesome at whatever he does. But it's just the way that they kind of book these guys and the way that 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 
I just I, I I have a tough time believing it's gonna be anything but those you know Braun and, and Bobby just kind of playing around with them, throwing them around and then kind of pinning them. I just I, that's all I get. And and maybe Owens and Sami Zayn trying to run out and be chicken shit the entire time, but it's like it's not gonna be like a well worked back and forth match. Like it just it, it's not there's no chance. There's weird pockets of 